The Power Trip is a proud member of the Kaiju Ramen Podcast Network. You can find more, more phenomenal kaiju and tokusatsu content at kaijuramenmedia.com. What's up, everyone? It is JDF, the Green Ranger, and you are listening to The Power Trip. It's morphin' time. Lisa! Hello, listeners with attitude. I'm Michael. And I'm Nathan. And we're continuing our journey through the Power Rangers franchise. In today's episode, we're discussing Power Rangers Mystic Force. It didn't work. Let's try that again. Podcastros Temporarium Maximus! What in Godzilla's name are you doing? I was trying to summon alternate universes of ourselves so that they can record this podcast and we don't have to. Oh, come on. Come on. Save that for Operation Overdrive next time. Dag on it. Yeah, you're right. That's way, it's going to be way worse. Yeah, that's how right. Anyway, greetings, Nathan. We're talking yeah, about hello, Mystic Force. hello. So in light of what you were just trying to do, does that mean I have to call you Magic Mike? <laughs> or, or, to avoid, or to avoid copyright, or to avoid copyright infringement, maybe Mystic Mike? Well, you know, I have been told that, that, I, that I do possess a pretty sizable wand. just no and that's definitely a question i am not asking julie (laughs) (laughs) oh boy so mystic force we're we're talking about mystic force (laughs) So, yeah, how much do we want to get into it right now? (laughs) Well, we've got we do have some housekeeping to take care of. We do. And we've got plenty of time. We've got plenty of time for that. So let's go ahead and just do a little bit of housekeeping. The first item on our housekeeping is the fact that last week we issued a retraction about there uh, being no. Uh, male, or I think it was Ninja Storm being the first male Yellow Ranger, and we got that wrong. Of course, uh, Titus from the Alien Rangers team—that was the first male Yellow uh, in the in the in the franchise uh, canonically. But I also forgot we cited one of our friends on Twitter, and I forgot to mention their handle. It's back on the underscore grid. It's our friend from good old Scotland. 
Um, yes, who has given his approval for our impersonations of Clank uh, and Orbis around and around and away you go. Well, I, I would assume we know we, we shouldn't be pushing it though because it could it could borderline on really cringy if we're not Ooh, careful. Are you sure? <laughs> okay. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so uh, so I, I forgot to mention our, our friend uh, on Twitter that gave us the uh, correction. So thank you for that. Uh, we appreciate you. But we also have uh, one more housekeeping item to take care of in the form of an email this time from one of our listeners with Attitude. Yeah, Carl Fulmer. Thank you. It's been a while. You He sent us this email last month. And we've been meaning to share it for a while. We've had a lot of reviews popping in, so it's a little difficult to keep up with things. And I'm going to read it this time because it's indirectly directed. That makes sense. At me. I'm like, how many times must I print retractions? <laughs> for as long as you keep screwing things yeah. up, Nate. Yeah, he writes, you can read this one on the show if you like. Probably not worth it, uh, worth it but your call. Well, obviously... We called it as worthy. <laughs> yes, this email can lift me on there. There you go. I'm a nerd. Anyway, he writes, I remember the Time Force episode or maybe the Lost Galaxy one. It was Time Force. <laughs> you said that Jen wasn't a particularly attractive pink ranger, but her Lost Galaxy, uh, not Lost Galaxy, it would be Wild Force, uh, changed your mind. Just wanted to let you know she aged incredibly well. Also her, uh, and then he sent us a picture where he met the actress at a convention and how many times do i need to print my retraction that yes i'm sorry she is a beautiful beautiful woman and apparently i have a thing for black leather i admit that <laughs> you know i over the course of this podcast i did not know that i was going to learn so much about you and your uh preferences i'm as surprised as you are <laughs> but uh, between uh, between Jen and Wild Force and Astronema, apparently black leather is my thing. Uh, but, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with a little black leather. A little black leather never hurt nobody. It can, it's not. It's you know, I, I'm I'm maybe I shouldn't know. Maybe I shouldn't finish the thought that I was going to have. I anyway, know we've gotten requests for more dirty jokes, but there's limits even to what there we is can limits do. to even what we should be able to do. We still have to keep this somewhat family friendly at the very most PG thirteen. So. Yeah. Uh, Carl, thank you for that. Yeah. Well, he had one more comment. He said, oh, "Also oh, heard okay, the sorry. rough, also heard the rough feedback on the Ninja Storm episode." And just wanted to say, I really enjoy the show. Oh well, thank you, Carl. Now I can officially say thank you, Carl, for for sending that email. And if you want to be awesome like Carl and some of our listeners with attitude and send us feedback, our email is powertrippod at gmail .com, or you can write us an iTunes review, uh, and we'll read that feedback on a future episode of the show. Yes. So. Yes. And I just remembered, I wanted to make sure we brought this up because I was thinking to myself, wasn't there like a bit of like Ranger related news that we have to talk about? And I finally remember what it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I know. And it about. is podcast pertinent because it's going to affect how we do things. Shout Factory this week, just an hour, or rather between our previous episode and this one, just announced that they're releasing more Sentai. 
Yep. Five man. Five man's coming to blue. Five uh, man, which five... is the one before jet man. So they're going, they're moving back a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that's pertinent because you and I have basically said that as yeah, as our lovely, lovely fans have demanded, the listeners with attitude, we're doing at least one more season of the power trip and we're going to focus on Sentai. Well, now we have, that's taken our Sentai count to 13 instead of 12, because it will be out on DVD in September and presumably on to streaming a little while after that. Right. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. I have never seen Five Man. I've started Jet Man. I'm not through the series yet. Uh, but yeah, that's it's really interesting. I think during uh, the last episode, our very long, long episode. On but SCD, never boring. I listened to it. I'm like, this never clips boring. along very nicely. Yeah. So during that very epic episode on SPD, we did mention that, hey, Shout Factory, release more Sentai. And apparently <laughs> we have spoken it into existence we because we are magic. We are magic. We have cast our power of persuasion over uh, Shout Factory, who totally listens to this show uh, to release more Sentai. <laughs> Fanboyers convince us. <laughs> okay. Well, I have a feeling we're going to be making a lot of really bad Latin puns in this episode. So yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I have to do that to myself. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, I'm please. Thank you. Anyway, <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> all, all it needs is some black leather and it's and the package is complete. And the pack. Oh, <laughs> oh, sweet Jesus. Oh, cue the epic rock music. The young Nick arrives in the city of Briarwood where he befriends four local workers at the Rockporium Music Store. They soon learn the nearby forest is inhabited by magical beings, including the sorceress Udana and her apprentice Claire. Udana makes them Power Rangers to battle a horde of escaped demons hell-bent on unleashing dark magic on the world. As these battles rage on, the Rangers learn they must earn more magic. Family ties with friends and foes alike are revealed, and Nick the Red Ranger steals the show in good and bad ways. So, Nate, you remember how I said that uh, I was going into the rest of this franchise with a very open mind? Or at least you were trying. Or at least I was trying to. Right. So I, yes, quite. I have never, I have never, you're not going to bait me. I have never seen Mystic Force up until I needed to watch it for this show. In fact, um, this is so out, this is so far outside my purview. I, uh, I think I mentioned it on our Power Rangers Legacy Facebook group in a comment that I actually forgot this even existed until uh until going back through the franchise wow you forgot about power rangers hogwarts i'm very disappointed well okay so first of all it's because one of one i'm not a pothead or a potterhead is it, what do they call them potterheads i think potterheads i don't know anyway I, I used to smoke a little bit of potter in high school but that's that's, <laughs> that's been uh, wait a minute whoa, 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 whoa. you would buy harry potter novels and then roll them into joints and s smoke them is that how that works uh, yeah, we'll go with that. Um, but I was never a fan of the Harry Potter franchise. This, it, all of my, all of my friends were, now don't get me wrong. I love fantasy. I was, we were not, we were talking about this the other night that we both love both. We both love, um, hard sci-fi 
and mm-hmm. fantasy, whereas you love hard sci-fi more than fantasy, and I tend to gravitate. Yeah, well, more although to- my favorite, no, uh, my favorite book of all time is a fantasy novel, Lord of right. the Rings. Right. So, so I will say it's it's not that I don't like the genre. I just don't gravitate it toward it as much as science fiction. Right. And so I am kind of a little bit more opposite where I actually really enjoy fantasy films, specifically like some of the older sword and sandal films like Her- stuff. Uh-oh. Harry Ray Harryhausen, Ray, Ray Harryhausen, yeah, some of those and some of those cheesier ones from uh, from the eighties and early nineties. Like yeah, you just watched Beastmaster. This I week? did, yeah. I, I just watched yeah. Beastmaster just for for uh, for kicks. And, uh, well, the eighties, the eighties was prime time for oh, yeah. fantasy films. You know, you you know, you had the Dark Crystal, Legend, Dragon Slayer, Conan. <laughs> Uh, the beast, yeah, Beastmaster, and just a slew of just fantasy sword and sandal type movies, mm-hmm. uh, for better or for worse. Yeah. It's like now it, it, this show was made at a time when fantasy was having a bit of a resurgence because of Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. Yeah, and so, this came out at the height of Potter mania. Yeah, this is, uh, I can't really, I'm trying to find the right words to explain the difference between this level of this, this era of fantasy and the era of fantasy from the eighties. Uh, I feel like the, this is like, is it, is it fair to say that this is, it was more of a time of literary fantasy, like adaptations of Lord of the Rings, Harry Uh, Potter, Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings didn't have any adaptations in the eighties. No, 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 that's not, no, 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 I'm talking about, I'm talking about this era, the, in the two, in the early two thousands, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, it was a little bit more uh, literary adaptations of fantasy, like Lord of the Rings, Aragon, uh, stuff like that, Harry, the Harry Potter books, uh, obviously. Things that would be considered, uh, things that would be considered, or at least borderline classics. Yes, yes, whereas... A lot of what was being produced in the eighties, there were some adaptations. Obviously, Conan Beowulf. was an adaptation. There was a Beowulf adaptation in the eighties, if I'm not mistaken. No, you. I think you're thinking of the two thousands, the animated one. No, 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 no. There was a live. I think there was a live There's action. Been a lot of. I've been a lot of adaptations of Beowulf. Anyway, but yeah, it was it was a different time, and it felt like even what was going on in the eighties was done as just cheap. A lot of it, well, because a lot of it was. A lot of it was just cheap schlock. But there was some standout. <laughs> Looking at you, Death Stalker. <laughs> God. Go on. <laughs> just go on Tubi and and just look through the plethora of scantily clad uh, barbarian women posters uh, for their movies. Yeah. And, af- uh, but do that after you watch some Super Sentai. Right. So, so, uh, so yeah, this was, a, it was a totally different time in the eighties as opposed to when mystic force came out. Uh, and it just feels different. And like I was saying, I was never like, I really enjoyed Lord of the Rings. I watched all the movies I've read. I've read the Hobbit, uh, you'll, you'll probably dislike me for this, but I've never read Lord of the Rings proper. You should, um, do it now. Right. So, I, but I really appreciate, I really appreciate those films. Appreciate. I really appreciate those films. And I even appreciate things like, uh, the, uh, uh, um, oh, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia and things of that nature. Those two. And, 
like like I was telling you earlier, I actually gravitate towards more fantasy than I do hard sci-fi. Although I love hard sci-fi, I love Trek more than I love Star Lords uh, than I love Star Wars, which is weird because in a way, Star Wars is more fantasy than science fiction. Um, oh, very much so. So. I should like Star Wars more, but a, but the but part of me loves Star Trek more. I I've never really been able to parse out why. I just do. Um, but all that to say, Mystic Force kind of passed me by because this came out around 2006. So this is after I've graduated high school, and this is after I've stopped caring about things like Power Rangers. So. Uh, so yeah, the, like mystic force was just something that I probably saw on TV or heard about, or just kind of had prior knowledge of growing up, but it never piqued my interest. And honestly, I just forgot about it. I forgot that it even existed up until a couple of years ago, whenever I started this journey through the franchise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like I said, it actually both this and the Sentai it's based on, which, by the way, is, I hope I say this right, Maho Sentai Magi Ranger, which means Magical Squadron Magi Ranger. They're both kind of unique, from what I can tell, in the franchise, because these two are the most, at least from a Western standpoint, the most fantasy and magic-based mm-hmm. out of oh, all yeah. of them. It's incredibly unique. I think you you and I were talking about this the other night while we were trying to get our thoughts together and it's incredibly unique, not just for power Rangers. It's, it's, it's a tonal. I feel like it's even a a big tonal shift from what's that. It's definitely a huge tonal, a tonal shift from what we talked about with SPD and now into this is about as different from SPD as you can get. It's so, it's so different. There's no crossover in this season. Well, kind of, but only for about 30 seconds. Uh, that doesn't count. Um, and it's just two supporting characters meeting each other. That doesn't, that doesn't count. In my opinion, that doesn't count, but that there is no true, there is no true crossover in this. What at least, well, no, there is, I'm just going to say there is no true cross crossover in, uh, mystic force. Hot uh, but, um, but it's it's such an it's such a tonal shift from what even what we've seen prior to SPD because the Power Rangers franchise up to this point has had a pretty pretty solid aesthetic. It's either grounded in hard sci-fi or it's grounded in everyday everyday heroes, mm-hmm. i.e., i.e. Lightspeed Rescue fighting over the top fanciful villains, i.e. Yeah. Uh, Lightspeed Rescue, or and you know other seasons like that. Yeah, but I mean, Rita Repulsa and the Moon Crew are very fantasy based. Oh yeah, it's very Wizard of Oz. But they were mm-hmm. fighting modern day teenagers, and it was that interesting clash of of cultures of that uh, or clash of uh, of genres, sensibilities. I don't know what exactly the word I'm thinking of, but um, whereas this is just it goes full on with fantasy which is really interesting. And like I said, I went into yeah. Mystic And Force. by the way, the heavy fantasy basis was a decision by Bruce Kalish. It was. Yeah, it, we, it was. We talked about him last uh, in the last episode. Uh, he became one of the producers and was a, a very key producer, I think, through most of the rest of the Disney era, infamously 
credited with the creation of the quote-unquote catalyst explosions, which we didn't talk about all that much in SPD because that's where it started. But I didn't feel like it; those happened as much as, oh, good Lord, they do here. Oh, yeah, for sure. And what also is really interesting about Mystic Force is this is a co-production between Toei and... Which is uh, weird. And, uh, and Disney. Or, yeah, because uh, they both filmed the... Their in New shows Zealand. in New Zealand. Yeah, in New Zealand. So it's really odd. Well, and some other things to mention. Jackie Marchand became story editor with this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Sally Campbell, who was a producer, said this is her favorite season because since it was magic and fantasy based, that let them do a heck of a lot more. They got to really go nuts with it. Which I can totally see that because they're they were able to do some things in Mystic Force that probably would have been scoffed at in previous seasons. Perhaps. And this is also the first time we have an entirely non-American cast. Mm -hmm. Everybody here is either Kiwi or Australian. Mm -hmm. And in fact, they actually had to rewrite one of the characters, Xander, as just being straight up uh, being being an Australian immigrant because he couldn't make an American accent very well. Yeah, it's a lot. A lot of the. some of most, a lot of them can uh, like Nick, the character that plays Nick uh, or the actor that plays Nick, he can uh, fake his, he can do his American accent really yeah, well. We're going to have to talk about him. Well, we're going to talk about Nick a lot uh, yeah, yeah. for better or for worse. For yeah, better or for worse. yeah. And the a couple of other just preliminary things that I want to mention. <laughs> Thank you, Ranger Wiki. We should say that more often. Thank you, Ranger Wiki, for all of this wonderful information, except for when you're wrong about Yellow Rangers. <laughs> SPD was so expensive, Disney slashed the budget for this and told the filmmakers to use as much Sentai footage as possible, which I feel probably hampered them a bit because that's why the that's why Nick gets an... Oh, is overemphasized in this because they had a lot of usable footage of the Red Magi Ranger. So they had to do something with that. And also, in case we don't talk about her again later, because I don't know where exactly we would put her, there's a really interesting expansion of Power Ranger lore in this that happens kind of by accident. The Mystic Mother. Uh, is it an ex- but is it truly an expansion or is it sort of a retcon? I, I want to. It feels. I, I want to talk about. I, I'll. We'll talk about her later. But I feel like it was a little bit of a retcon. I don't it. think it's a retcon. But for those who don't know, the Mystic Mother is a character who shows up in the finale, and she is from the Sentai, and she's played by Machiko Soga, who played. Which Bandora, aka Rita Repulsa. And there in the Sentai, her character is not related to Witch Bandora at all, but because Miss Soga died right after Maji Ranger was finished and and Mystic Force was in production, they made the character Rita as a tribute to her. Unfortunately, Barbara Goodson didn't come back to voice her. It was a woman named Susan uh, Susan Beatty, and she does her best to she, impersonate she the does, Barbara Goodson performance, but it's not quite there. 
Yeah, she does her best. And there's little things like, I have, you're giving me such a headache. You know, yeah, that, there's, there's little callbacks, which I like. There's little callbacks. I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. By but, the way, the Sentai counterpart was Heavenly Arc Saint Magiel. I hope I said that right. The only problem I really have with it is I have to ask a question. So what about the Z-Wave? Rita was transformed into a human. Telling me she didn't figure out how to use magic again or that she lost all of her magic power. I'm just saying she was transformed into a human after the Z wave. Does it mean she can't be magical? Uh, this, well, I guess that's true. I guess. And this show and this show shows us that apparently magic is in all of us. And if you believe in magic in a young ranger's heart. Okay. That's enough. Of that. That's getting memed, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> Anyway, uh, also a couple more quick notes. You know how the SPD had one word titles? Well, to continue the joke, Bruce Callis gave almost every episode of Mystic Force two word titles. With exceptions like the Snow Prince. I don't know I mean, why. They could, have called, they could have called it Snow Prince. Yeah, they could have. But, you know, like, drop okay. the ball there a little bit, Mr. Callish. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, yeah. But anyway, uh, we've covered all the preliminary stuff in my notes anyway, so we can move on unless you have something else to add. No, I don't have much else to add except for Mystic Force surprised me in some good in some good ways, in some good ways. Yeah, we'll get to that. So (laughs) in our trademark format, we start with the theme song because that's how every episode starts. I okay. don't, I don't like this theme song. I'm okay. Sorry. Yeah, I don't this like one, this one. Okay. It's not my favorite. And I'm going to start off by saying it's like, maybe this theme song just isn't for me. It's not necessarily that it's bad. Cause boy, howdy, we'll have one to talk about next time, <laughs> but I, I just don't think it's for me. This is a rock rap hybrid, which is already a little bit of a departure for power Rangers. This style of music was popular at the time. This particular theme song is very much in line with, say, Outcast. You know, that guy. I think I have to just be on. I think I just have to maybe parrot what you said. This this theme song just isn't for me. It fit. It fits the show. Don't get me wrong, but. A part of me wishes that they would have used some of the other demos that uh, we. Okay, had, yeah, because Wasserman sent them. We talked about how we loved the SPD theme because it was Wasserman, and we said that was the last time he got to do one. Wasserman submitted some demos for Mystic Force. He had a rock theme and a rap theme. The rock theme was pretty good. You can find these on YouTube. As much as, but as much as I hate to say it, his rap theme for Mystic Force is hot garbage. <laughs> oh, it is. It's 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 absolutely terrible. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I see why this one won because your rap theme, no, that's for the powerless rangers. I'm just, <laughs> yeah, I didn't much care for that one. Maybe I mean, it was just a demo. Maybe he would have done a new version that would have been better. I don't know. But you want to put your best foot forward when you're doing a demo, I would think. Oh yeah, for sure. But, you know, the and the lyrics are okay. It's more an anthem than anything else. It doesn't, I mean, it gives you a flavor for the show. 
the visuals that go along with the intro help that as well, but it doesn't really tell you anything about the show. It's just incredibly catchy is all. Yeah, it is weirdly catchy. I'm not the biggest fan of it. And that's kind of the worst part about it is that I'm not the biggest fan of it, but it is stupid catchy. All right. So that's the theme song. Not much to talk about there. I don't believe at least at least not, not really. as in we've got other really. things we need to talk. about. Yeah, we, we've got other things we need to move on into. So, right, so let's talk about our Rangers. But before we get to the characters, <sighs> we need to talk about the costumes and how you lost. <laughs> So so Nick our, mode. So, so so Nick Michael mode. So Nick, our Red Ranger. Um, no, we're talking about the costumes now. The the costumes are fine. They fit the motif. Moving on, Nick. Our no, Red Ranger. No, 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 no. No, you, yeah, cape hater. <laughs> you cape hater. <laughs> you telling everybody that it's stupid and they're putting a poll up in the Facebook group and on I Twitter. It's like, do you guys think that the capes are stupid? And an overwhelming majority told you no. And because you, Mister Capes, are stupid and have no and have no function. Well, guess what? Professor Nate decided to show back up after talking about astronomy and her wigs for three hours, and is now going to give you a crash course in capes. Are you ready? <laughs> it sounds like I don't have a choice. No, you have no choice. And besides, the listeners with attitude have spoken. So. You were saying the capes are stupid and serve no function. Well, actually, capes, I'll be brief. Capes actually have a very long history. They go back to the ancient world. There were Roman centurions who would wear them, and they indicated rank, and they would actually you know, wear them into battle. And contrary to what you may think, they do have practical applications. By the way, cloaks, which I think that's something to worth talking about here because are these rangers wearing capes or are they cloaks? Because it's a cloak if it has a hood. If it doesn't have a hood, it's a cape. Well, the rangers have helmets. So is it a cloak or a cape? It's a cape. We're just going to... It's a cape. It's a, it's a All cape. right, we'll go with cape. So, by the way, they are the first Power Rangers to have capes, but they're not the first Super Sentai team to have capes. In fact, the very first Super Sentai Go Ranger, they had capes. So... You uh, people would wear uh, capes and cloaks, and it would actually protect them from the weather. You could shield yourself from, say, the rain using a cape. You could keep yourself warm with it. And contrary to popular belief, they do have combat applications. I found out about this. You could actually take a cape or a cloak off, wrap it around your forearm, and use it as a makeshift shield because. The fabric used to make capes back then was actually very durable. It's actually the example I saw in an article I read said, try stabbing, uh, say, some curtains with a knife. You'll find out it's a little bit difficult. Now, is a cape or a cloak uh, you know, wrapped around your arm as effective as an actual shield? No, but it could still provide protection from, say, daggers and swords if you needed it to. You could also use cape flourishes to distract your enemy in combat now all even though i say all of that edna mode does have a little bit of a point in the incredibles they are a little bit of a liability because people can still grab on them and jerk you around so the articles i read it's like yeah we fully acknowledge that but they do have practical applications 
So now you might be wondering, well, then why don't we use capes anymore like that? One word, guns. <laughs> Until we invent mithril and thereby are capable of making bulletproof capes, don't expect capes to be anything other than a fashion statement right now. Boom, mic drop. So Nick, our red race. <laughs> Played by, I hope I say his name right, Faraz Durrani. Actually, I want to back up. I want to back up for a second. I don't want to talk about Nick right now. Hang on. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about Nick right now. So since you've already opened this can of proverbial worms, <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't, I personally used to think these costumes looked ridiculous, but the more I was able to live with them throughout the duration of this season, they actually started to grow on me. I just think that they, the power up the legendary version with the white shields looks way better when they all get dragon shields when they all get dragon shields looks way better than their actual first stage ranger suits you're allowed to be wrong it's okay no i'm not wrong (laughs) i just think it looks better because it, it, it first of all it embellishes their helmets more to indicate what actual element they're representing the and and i love shields i love a breastplate i love shields i think they look cool i think they look cooler than just a piece of fabric across their back but that's just me um oh the the soft tacos Mm -hmm. they look way better than they just they look way better than the soft tacos that all of them have i just like the shielded versions of the Rangers more. And I wish that those would have been kept throughout the entire season, but I get it. They're supposed to be used as a power up to uh, lead us into our Zord power up of the Manticore. We'll think we'll get there, but okay. Fine. I was going to say, doesn't it kind of, if that's the case, if making them just the default suits, wouldn't that kind of rob them of their specialness? It would, but it would not rob me of not having to look of not looking at those stupid capes. Oh, fine, Edna. They're just impra- they're not pra- they don't they're just impractical. They, they use don't. them for they use them for flourishes. Anyway, Nick, 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 Bowen, Russell, Russell. or Bowen because plot twist. <laughs> and I've mentioned the actor's name already. All right. He's kind of the elephant Zord in the room. So we've already hinted at it. They had a lot of Sentai footage of the Red uh, Maji Ranger. So they had to, uh, given what the corner they were backed into, they just had to work with it. The show is mildly obsessed with Nick. Nick And for good or bad reasons, for good or bad reasons, we find out. Yeah. Nick tends to suck the air out of the room and rob the other characters because the other characters have the elements to be, uh, to be good. And I would still say they are good characters, but because Nick keeps just taking away from all of that, they don't get, I don't feel like the other characters get as much of a focus as I think they deserve. Also, I have found out that a lot of people like Disney brain do not like Nick. They think he's an a-hole and I understand why he's a little bit belligerent, 
especially in the early episodes, because he just continues to refuse to believe that all of the crazy things he's seeing are real. And I'm also just kind of like, God, dude, did you forget what universe you're in? They keep elevating Nick as the time go as the season goes on. He's the Red Ranger. He's the leader, but he's kind of belligerent. The the show tries really hard to build some sympathy for him because we. Find I don't out think it's very, adopted. I, I honestly perfect. don't think it's very successful, to be honest. Yeah, with you. and then we find out he's like a chosen one, which doesn't pan out nearly as much as I would have thought because he's the light. But they never really explain what that means, other than he's just supposed to beat the bad guys. Yeah, they don't go into they don't go into a lot of detail about what the light entails. <laughs> yeah, it's just there's just so much stuff that gets piled onto him and not all of it feels earned. What, what and it just feels uh, odd. Cuz like I said when you when you get to the finale it doesn't really pan out. What season was it we talked about where we went on kind of a it wasn't I wouldn't say a a, a soapbox rant, but we talked about where one of the Rangers or something to do with the Rangers, the powers weren't quite as earned as we would have liked them to be. Was it Titanium Ranger? Because we're like, the, the his whole thing just didn't quite feel earned. Oh, uh, maybe. Yeah, I have to agree with you there because I just, there's just so much that gets thrown in there. It's a little, it's to a certain extent, it's actually kind of like, you know how we talked about in Lightspeed Rescue where it seemed like they were trying to cram a bunch of different stories in? feel like they were doing this a bit with Nick, but then they didn't make Nick the most likable character. And then there's these weird turns that happen. Like in the finale, he turns evil for about five minutes. It's kind of like, it's like, it's, it's like, it's like, here's a twist and you get a twist and you get a twist and you get a twist. It's like, so wait, 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 wait. So mystic force is the Oprah of Shyamalan twists. I don't know. I'm uh, well, I don't know if I'll go that far, but it's it seems like every single like especially in that last oh god, like like that last 12 episodes where Yeah, we, it's just like stuff is just happening with Nick all the time. We find out that, you know, that it his life is Star Wars, you know, cuz Korag, Nick, I am your father and Udana, who's been around since the first episode, is his mother. So we actually, for the first time, get a whole family as Power Rangers, which is actually kind of cool. I like that. My question is, how in the devil did she not know that that was her kid from the beginning? And she just didn't tell him. I, I don't know. That is like, that just odd. Fe- that's just how did odd. she not know that Korag was her husband? The, well, that one I understand because she presumed him. She presumed her husband to be dead. Yeah, but I, I don't know. When we meet the Ten Terrors, uh, it just seems like there's twist after twist after twist, and it gets exhausting. It does, and we'll talk about that more once we get to the villain section. But yeah, it's just stuff is just happening. Oh, and he has a. Uh, he's has a special connection to Fireheart, the dragon, because because he is dr- because he has Dragonheart. Yeah, uh, Dragonheart is okay. So which just, uh, which I, I, okay? Did, did it's you, one of which, those things. Which I, did I'm not, you? I'm not going to play the. I'm not going to play the Rantmaster well, soundbite for this. No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I just something just dawned on me. Something just dawned on me. Nick's Nick's real name is Bowen. Oh, crap. <laughs> oh, my gosh, you're right. 
<laughs> it's Dragonheart. It just dawned on me. That's that's the knight in Dragonheart. Because the dragon is called Fireheart. <laughs> Nick is Bowen. I no, no one has said this in the Ranger community. I think we just figured something out, man. Oh no! Like it, like it's literally just it's literally just washing over me as we're having this conversation. Wow, wow. But anyway, I just want to say this. There's a a bit of a mentality that a YouTuber named Linkara, he's made this into a bit of a joke in his videos because this was a line used by some comic book creators for the worst Spider-Man story ever. One more day, which is, it's magic. We don't have to explain it. No, you do. Yeah, you kind of do. It helps you, if you You can't do. just play the it helps do whatever you, do. you want because magic. No, magic yeah, it, needs it, rules. Yeah, it, it helps if you do. It helps if magic has rules, which I just I had to look it up to me, to double check my my to double check myself. Uh, Dragonheart, the movie with Den- the movie with Dennis Quaid, is it Dennis Quaid? Yes. Is- okay, the movie with Dennis Quaid came out in 1996. For some yes. reason, I thought it came out in like 1999 or maybe a little later, but it was 1996. Dude, I had you on an episode of the film. I know, I know, I know, I know. But all these movies start running together after a while. But I had to look it up and Dragonheart came out uh, in 1996. So it is reasonable for me to believe that they just stole that lore for Mystic Force. Yeah, well, there's a lot of lore in this one. They pile a lot of stuff, which is a very fantasy thing to do. But we should mention Nick is... The Red Ranger's adopted name, and Bowen was his given name by his <clears throat> mother. It is Christian name. His Christian name, yes, quite. Anyway, so I, that that is kind of interesting. But oh my gosh, they cram a bunch of backstory with all of this. Mm. It gets a little overwhelming at points because there's a lot of exposition. Yeah. In some episodes, yeah, finding out about ancient battles against ancient evil and, you know, this person doing something special to seal away the evil and somebody dying or supposedly dying, but then being corrupted by the great evil. And just, it's just, there's so much stuff. Well, going on, okay. Which so- plays into why Nick is special because his mother was a sorceress and his father was an immensely powerful mystic. Mm-hmm. Which I guess that's the implication. Just like, hey, his parents were very powerful magic users, so he's special. But I want to do something. I want to do something that Mystic Force was not able to do, and actually move on from Nick and 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 <laughs> not focus on Nick too much. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about Nick later. But I want to move on and talk about our Yellow Ranger Charlie, or and the rest of the team rather, uh, and start with our Yellow Ranger Charlie Chip Thorn. Played, played by, by Nick. Nick Sampson. Yeah, I like I like Charlie. I love Chip. I, I, like I Chip. love this kid. Uh, he's uh, he he's actually a token fills a, I think a very necessary. He's the token uh, nerd. He's the token nerd. He's the token nerd, but he's also the very enthusiastic guy. He's the one who's just having fun at every turn, and every right. time they learn something new about magic or. You know, uh, 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 new worlds and everything like he's very enthusiastic he's like oh i love this he's the <laughs> he well he's the true believer on the team yeah he's when the Nick true is not 
Yeah, he's the true believer. Well, a lot of them, oh, some of them, even not just Nick, but a lot of some of them are not true believers in magic. And I think the benefit of having Chip around is because he's already a nerd. He's already very familiar with lore mm. and legend. <laughs> he's and, talking about role playing games. Yeah, and- he's talking about the role playing games and those kinds of things. And so he's really into this kind of stuff. So having this type of like having this type of character is, I feel like, necessary. Mm-hmm. Like you have to have that very enthusiastic slash knowledgeable nerd uh, in something like this to help kind of wrap everything up and help the uh, and and he's kind of like um, in an odd way he's kind of like uh, um, the support of the team because he can understand these things from mm-hmm. sort of a a nerd level because mm-hmm. he's kind of entrenched in this lore himself. Mm-hmm. I feel like he is for all intents and purposes, the heart of the team. Oh yeah. He's very much the heart of the team, but not in the way that we usually expect. It's not because he's the most empathetic or compassionate guy. It's more just the sheer level of like caffeinated (laughs) enthusiasm. Right. Yeah. And (laughs) like, I think, I feel like there are actually two hearts of the team. You've got Nick, you've got chip, you've got chip who is the enthusiastic heart of the team. And then you have our next ranger, Madison, Madison, Madison Rocca. Madison Rocca, Madison Roca, uh, played by Melanie Veled, Vallejo, 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 Vallejo. I'm probably butchered that, but she, I feel, I feel like she is the, um, she's the empathetic heart of the team. And, but she's also, well, the other thing that's interesting about her is that she's a videographer. Mm-hmm. She likes yeah. to, she goes around with a camcorder and films everybody, which is something that they stopped doing. I think about halfway through the show, which made me a little sad. But I feel like out of all the other characters, she's the one that I think gets the she suffers the most from the it's from the show's mild obsession with Nick, because I don't feel like she gets to do as much, which is kind of funny that that she does have a focus episode later where it's like the writers kind of realized, oh, yeah, we didn't do a lot with her. Oh, yeah. She's actually kind of important. Hmm. Yeah. Because at first I'm like, oh, come on, we're going to pretend we're making this up just so we could have a, a conflict for an episode. But then when I thought about it, I was like, actually, no, she does kind of get the shaft, doesn't she? Which yeah. is too bad because she is a good character. She's a Blue Ranger. We have yeah. another female Blue Ranger, which mm-hmm. is kind of fun. And she's like we talked about before with Ninja Storm. She's aqua blue, mm-hmm. not cobalt blue like Billy. No, she's aqua blue. Yeah, when when we see she like because she has water powers. Yeah, when we see female blue rangers, it's typically a more feminine, a, f- a more feminine shade, or what would be considered a more feminine shade of blue. Yeah, well, and the other thing to keep in mind with this is that these rangers, their colors match up with their elements. We're going very uh, Greek with this because the Greeks had this understanding that there are four elements. Now they expand on it a little bit for the heck of it. But it's quite, you know, it's, but red, but Nick as red is fire, and yeah. then Chip as yellow is lightning. So that's the one that they add on top. And now she and Madison's water. Yeah, it's it's quite elemental, my dear Nathan. I approve of this one. A little, <laughs> a little, a little Sherlock Holmes reference. Anyway, yes, yes, quite. Yes. Uh, Which fun fact? Uh, Sh- Holmes never said that in any of the original stories. That was an invention of the movies. So, so Madison, I like Madison. I I, I really like Madison. I wish they Mm -hmm. would have done more with her. 
um, she takes sort of a back seat to our to her sister. Actually, we have a pair of sisters on this team. Yeah, which our, is also a first. Which yeah, you know, which we've is also had a brothers and sisters before. Yeah, but which is our pink ranger Vita, but they call her V Vita yeah. Vita Roca or Vita Rocha, uh, played by Angie Diaz. Yeah, and what's interesting about and she v, has wind powers. Well, she has wind powers, but what's interesting about her is she kind of breaks the archetype a little bit. She does, and not like you know we talked about before with Jen, who is a beautiful, beautiful woman that. <laughs> That you know, she broke the the archetype a bit. Well, not a bit. She sh- practically shattered it. She breaks it, but not like we've seen before with other Pink Rangers. She <laughs> when they're all getting their colors, and she's told she's going to be pink. She says like, "I don't even like pink." <laughs> yeah, but she has pink streaks streaks in her hair. Okay. Well, she whatever. that color changes from episode yeah. to episode. It does. But yeah, what? Does. But what? But it makes sense that she would be a little bit flamboyant like that because she's a DJ. Yeah, she's, she's cool. She's got they, a. They all work at a music store, which we'll talk about in a little bit here. That's basically their juice bar. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's, she's got a very <sighs> sarcastic type personality. Yeah, she's uh, sarcastic, but she is she, the part of the Pink Ranger uh, archetype that she fits into is that she is actually her and her sister are actually very kind and compassionate. Mm-hmm. Just that she has a she's a, she's snarky. <laughs> Yeah, I like her. I like her. I do as well. And what's interesting is that I liked how in the last episode, you know, because when she starts, she's like, I hate pink. Why do I have to be pink? And, you know, that she brings that up a little bit where she's like, I don't even like pink. And then what's interesting is that in the last episode, this is a subtle little thing that I appreciated. She fully embraces it. She doesn't just dye a little streak in her hair. She goes full tilt. <laughs> and she dyes her hair pink. She looks, she looks like Rancic's daughter at that point. <laughs> yeah, she fully embraced. She by the time this season is, excuse me, by the time this season is uh, over, she fully embraces who 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 she was called to be, and she has a few nice focus episodes. I remember one in particular she had with uh, one of the Ten Terrors. Uh, which one, which the name of it escapes me. It's the one that looks like the one that sounded like Matongo, but it wasn't Matongo. Matumbo. Yeah, it was Matumbo. I thought, I thought for for a hot second, I thought they said Matongo. And given the (laughs) fact that it looks like a kind of like a mush, a furry mushroom, I kind of could see it, but I guess it's supposed to be storm clouds. Yeah, uh, because because he, he's a very storm. Va- he's a very storm storm based Titan or storm based. Yeah, we'll demon. talk about him later. Yeah. So she has a couple of uh, really nice focus episodes, but she also suffers from the same thing that every last character on this team suffers, except for Nick. The fact that Nick is the focus of this season. Yeah, it's a little bit like. And I, I don't know how many people appreciate this. In some ways, it reminds me of, especially the first couple of seasons, uh, Star Trek Discovery, because Star Trek has always been an ensemble show that would have focus episodes on particular characters. But Discovery broke that and focused in on a, a central character at the expense of the other characters and Nick falls into those traps a lot too. Not nearly as much as Michael Burnham, 
but still he falls into that trap. And I yeah. feel like the rest of the cast suffers a little bit because of that. Yeah. But, you know, and she has a very nice friendship with Chip. They play off of each other very well. And there's also that kind of crazy episode. It was a two-parter, actually, where she, she got turned into a vampire. Because that's what you do in these shows. <laughs> you turn your character into a vampire at least once. <laughs> Which was a really interesting episode. Yeah, it was kind of funny because she kept trying to lash out a chip to suck his blood. And he's like, nope. <laughs> he whip out the garlic and he just, he just hold it up to her when she was having these bloodthirsty urges. And she, she would recoil like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, so, so V, she's great. I like her and her sister. Um, but we have to move. We're going to move on and talk about our Green Ranger, Xander. Xander Bly? Xander yep. Xander Bly, I think yes. Xander Bly. Okay. So played by Richard Brancatasano. Brancatasano. Richard Brancatasano. Very Italian name. But he's actually Australian. But he's actually Australian. Very Italian though. Um I don't like Xander. What? What? Why? I don't like Xander because he's kind of an he's kind of a cocky little uh, <laughs> i think that was the point he's supposed to be the you know the the life of the party kind of a guy he learns humility as the show goes on. he does on. but he's pretty he's pretty insufferable uh, i didn't mind him i was glad that they episodes. i was glad they did drop the what i thought was going to end up being the running joke for the whole show which is well I'm so charismatic that I'm just going to talk the monsters into not fighting us. And I'm like, I'm glad they dropped that shtick. I was like, okay, that's funny the first time, maybe even the first couple of times, but you can't keep this up for 30 episodes, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, if they had done it early on, dropped it, and then tried to do it one more time as a callback, that would have been fine, but they didn't, they didn't do that either. Thankfully, they were smart enough to just drop the shtick. But he, like I said, he learns some humility. I mean, poor kid nearly got turned into a tree for his trouble, for his vanity. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he has, like like I said, he has a few decent focus episodes. I just and don't care for And I, I like his one-liners. He's got I some just, good one-liners. I just don't care for his character. I just don't care for his character all that much. Uh, I like, I oh, love. Ego I, Ranger can't handle a little, I, a little more ego from other Rangers. I love the color green. I love the bull motif. He's his element. His, <laughs> well, we can't forget about Schwarzenegger mode. Schwarzenegger mode. Yes. Schwarzenegger mode. I love. I, I like the. I like magic roids activate. I like all. I like the whole aesthetic. I just don't care for Xander. And for some reason, like Xander is a very popular character in this from this season. Yeah, but isn't it? It's no different than Sky. Sky was not the most likable person in SPD, yeah, and then he's and then he softened. Xander softens. That's he true. learns humility, and that's his story true. isn't nearly as 
dark and deep and meaningful. Yeah, that's true. Maybe this is a lighter show compared to SPD. Right. But that's, it's probably, honestly, it's probably because they spent way too much damn time on Nick and you couldn't, and you really didn't have time to get to know. Yeah. That's the problem. Even when the other characters get focus episodes, it does a left turn. Not every time, but often enough where it's like, Oh, it's actually about Nick. Can it not be? Can it not be about Nick this time, guys? Come on. Like, I yeah. get it. I get it. You had a lot of like there, there was footage. a supporting cast member where there was a two-parter, and I thought the whole two-parter was going to be about her. And part one is, and then part two isn't, because it has to be about Nick. Okay. Okay, fine. Whatever. Okay. So those are our Rangers. Yeah. And, As and- a team, I think they gel pretty well, other than the fact that Nick gets way too much attention, and he's kind of a jerk. Which... People warned us about when we had it, when we went into Mystic Force. Yeah. Yeah. And it does kind of bring the whole team dynamic down. It does. And this is coming from, let, let me reiterate, this is coming from people who spent nearly four hours talking about SPD and how much we love Sky. Despite the fact that Sky is I just, not a great person at the start of the show. I just, I just, I really honestly think that if we would have been able to spend more time with these characters and less time on Nick, that I probably would have liked more of these characters more. Yeah. I probably would like Xander more if we would have gotten to spend more time with him. I probably would have liked Vi, uh, v more if we had gotten to spend more time with her. Madison. Uh, for me, I, the issue is with Nick is that they should have given Nick more of the sky treatment. Yeah, where he had to be. Yeah, where he had to be humbled a little. Where Nick had to be humbled a little bit, but Nick just wasn't humbled. It's, it, yeah, it's a, and it's they a, should have. And also ironing out those. It's sharp a, edges. It's a slow, it's a slow, well, probably not even slow, but it's a, it's a, prog- I, it's a progression. Yeah, yeah. It's an escalation. Like the, the, the entire season escalates throughout, yeah. throughout its entire run yeah. of just being focused on Nick. Yeah. Like I knew that this was going to be a Nick focused season when he got an, he, when he got a, an, a unique introduction where, mm-hmm. as opposed to the rest of he's the, he's the outsider. He's the outsider. He, his introduction is a lot more unique than the rest. The other, the other cast members were already employees of this record store. And they, they live in the town and they live in the town. They're, they're and then already- here's Nick who just rides in on his motorcycle and yeah. he's the new kid and nobody knows who he is. And, and he's, I, he's mysterious. And that's and, one thing. And that's one thing I went into mystic force with knowing that this was a very red ranger focused season and hearing about the people hearing from people say that mystic force is a lot of fun, except they spend way too much time on the red ranger. And I'm like, yeah. okay, so it can't be, I go into it think, okay, so it can't be that bad. Like maybe, maybe folks are being a little bit hyperbolic. No, no, yeah. I should have. I, now, I will say, I will give Durrani credit for a couple of things apparently he took the role very seriously he was a hard worker on the set i don't fault the actor I've oh no no no, no, like, no, don't no, fault no the no. actor because it's like he I was very the, interested in this role. no no no, no. I, I don't fault the actor at all i think i think like in context i think nick and specifically the actor durani durani did a wonderful job as nick like he played that character I, I put, I place blame at the feet of the showrunners and the writers for not, for focusing too much on Nick. That's who I blame. Yeah. But like I said, some of it might've been because they were backed into a corner. 
true. a little bit with you know with everything. Yeah, but that's but even doing. but even though that even uh, even though they had to have had more. If, if Disney said, "Hey, let's use as much Sentai footage as we possibly can," there has to be more footage of the other Rangers other than just Nick. I it mean, might on. have not been usable. We've talked about that before. This is well. This is true. Also, I don't know. It's just really. It's yeah. just. It's just a really. I was very disappointed. In, yeah, I was actually. Bit. But I will say this: Durrani's really good at crazy face. He is really good. At, he is very because I watch these on YouTube, and some of the thumbnails is just Nick doing crazy face. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean he's almost as good as the guy who played. Shang Tsung and Mortal Kombat. You know, Your soul is mine. <laughs> it's like, it's, there are yeah, points where it kind of gets to that. In the, and in the finale, in the finale where he turns evil for a half five an minutes episode, for five <laughs> minutes. Yeah, I was going to say half an episode, but it wasn't even that. Um, <laughs> yep, that was there was definitely some Shang Tsung energy there. Yeah, and uh, although. What might have helped is if he didn't spend so much time in those early episodes having to be told, you're a ranger, Nick, before he would finally just get it. <laughs> that was for you, Potterheads. Okay. Anyway, we have some 6th, 7th, and 8th Oh, good Rangers Lord. We have to talk the, about. the supporting cast in this show is a little ridiculous. And uh, we have to do asterisks. Again, with these characters, because we have a genuine sixth ranger, but then we have two other extra rangers, but it's weird. So I think, honestly, I'm going to say this right now. I think two of them we need to save for different sections. We'll acknowledge them here, but we need to talk. I think they play bigger roles as not rangers elsewhere. So Udana who is a white ranger. She's technically the first ranger we see in the show because mm-hmm. our main team doesn't morph until episode two. Right. So Udana, who is the mentor this season, I've talked before about how we've had a lot of fatherly figures in power rangers, but they don't do as much with motherly figures. Udana is one of the examples of a motherly figure as a mentor. Although as soon as a, the actual sixth ranger shows up, she starts sharing mentor duties so she doesn't get to be as much of one. And honestly, after <laughs> after Kruger last season, good luck topping that. Right. Nothing against Udana or the actress Pita Rudder, who I read actually was a stage actress. Until you can the, tell. Until, yeah, she was you a stage tell. actress until this. This was the first time she did anything on TV. Yeah, you could tell. Now, one thing, I, I wasn't sure where to bring this up, if we could bring it up here. I guess I'm just going to go ahead and bring it up here before I forget, honestly. So we have more cell phone morphers, but... Uh, they actually when, make a little bit more sense here. They actually make a little bit more sense, but here's here's the thing. When we first see the morphers, they aren't actually morphers, they're magic wands. And I think... Uh, the show was very smart in doing this. There's was, there was a line of dialogue. I think it's from, uh, well, no, Chip's all on board with his, yes, we're going to carry magic wands around town. We're going to look cool and nerdy blah, blah, and cool. Uh, but I think it's I think it's V that says, uh, you, fo- you expect us to carry these around and be seen with these? And then Udana waves her 
her own magic wand and says, here, fine, here's something more suited for your time period or more for your generation, for your generation and transforms their Harry Potter wands into cell phones. And that's, and they serve a really interesting purpose where anytime they unlock a new spell, they're loaded onto their cell phones. Yep. They unlock spell codes and mm-hmm. the they can use them as cell phones. So they're basically like the communicator, their communicator and a morpher. Yep. Which is kind of funny. So it's like it's like technology caught up with what Power Rangers was doing in 1993 because they had ringtones <laughs> and Apple watches. And now we have cell phones and they have their own little you know, uh, call to you know, ringtones for when they're mm-hmm. like, oh, we got to go. Yeah. And. And then when it goes into morpher or wand mode, it extends out longer. So it does look like a wand. Yeah. So I like, okay, Mystic Force, you get credit for being clever with that. Yeah, I, I do give them credit. And, you know, Odonna, yeah, Odonna. She's the white ranger. She's the, yeah, she's the white and she's snow, snow ranger. themed. She, yeah, she's white And snow if you ranger. play Battle for the Grid, all she does is spam, jump in the air and spam projectiles at you. Right. Uh, which she, I will say this and we, I want to move on from her because we'll talk about her more as a supporting cast member. Um, and then is, we'll briefly mention Leon because we're going to talk about Leon more later. Right. It is an interesting, it is an interesting visual. And I, and, and, and I'm going to bring this up a lot throughout this episode where mystic force shines for me is the very, is the interesting visuals. Yeah. Um, the first then time, we have, what the first time we see Udana, she actually grows, to gigantic no, which size, is wild. which is wild. She doesn't call on a Zord or anything like that. She grows gigantic, which actually foreshadows how they do Zords in this, which is really different. Very much different. They're more like, in a way, they're kind of more like battle borgs. If you were from Alien Ranger, from the Alien Rangers, than yeah, we'll talk about it. Than that, but anyway, yeah, we'll talk about that. So that's Udana. I want to move yeah, on yeah. from her and, and talk the, about our true six Ranger. Well, no, no, no. Let's well, briefly mention Liambo. 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 Okay. Wolf Warrior, who we find out later, Shamanon Twist. He's Udana's supposedly dead husband, played by Chris Graham. And so he gets to join the team a little bit later after a lot of crazy shenanigans, which we'll talk about in the villain section. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So acknowledging him here. Yes. Now we'll talk about the real sixth ranger, Daggeron, the Solaris Knight, who has an even bigger cape than the rest of the rangers because I guess, you know, because he's the sixth ranger and he's the mentor. So I guess he gets a bigger cape because he's older and wiser and has a higher rank. I don't know. He's kind of a gold ranger and he has an asymmetrical design because he has a, a crest, but it only goes out one side. Well, it's a feather. Yeah. It's like a feather. Uh, played by John Tui. And if that name sounds familiar, he was Kruger, my boy, my guy and silverback in SPD. And I read that John Tui actually said that he liked playing dagger on more than Kruger because he didn't have to wear the suit. Yeah, but Kruger is such a better character. Yeah, Kruger is a better character. I'm sorry, Mr. Tui. Kruger's a better character, but I understand you know, in terms of performance, you know, this was probably easier for you. So as six Rangers go, he's he's all right. He's all right. 
Yeah, he's all right. I like Solaris. I Knight. like him. There's a lot of interesting power ups that come with him. Like he uses, yeah, which is a little bit confusing for me because we have a lot of characters that have multiple modes, and I'm just like, these don't oh, look nearly as related as you want to say they they're, are. They're 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 night mode and they're they're night mode and then ancient mystic mode. Ancient, yeah, ancient mystic mode. Liam Bo is the worst because he has which, like three or four, which oddly looks like a monster of the week. Yeah, but, well, and Daggeron's the same way because he has because just Daggeron is civilian form. Then he has Solaris Knight, which is his ranger mode. But then he has the ancient mystic mode, which, yeah, looks like a monster of the week. And I'm just like, guys, this is a little excessive. I really want to watch Magi Ranger and find out what the context of all this is. I would almost bet money, almost bet money that they're that the ancient mystics are completely different characters that they decided to conflate. Maybe. Because Magi Ranger is longer than Mystic Force. Oh, yeah. Mystic Force is 32 episodes. I think Magi Ranger is 50? the more is closer to the 50 episodes that most Sentai's have. Yeah, it's like it's like 48 or 50 episodes, something like that. Yeah. Like which is pretty standard for for a Sentai season. Yeah. But like I said, as mentors go, he's pretty cool. He's a little bit weird at points. Like I said, he ends up kind of becoming a mentor along with Udana, but I guess it's more like he's teaches the rangers combat whereas udana's focused more on magic but then there was the whole thing where it seemed like he was going to train nick this is one of those kind of drop plot lines plot threads where it made a big deal about how he's going to train nick to be a knight and then they forget about that after the next episode yeah daggeron is more like that mentor big brother he's yeah. not very nurturing he's just your buddy yeah now, here's something. <laughs> I was thinking about this when I was watching the show. You know how there was that joke in Dino Thunder when Tommy becomes the black Dino Thunder Ranger? And aren't you a little old for aren't this? Aren't you Tommy? a little old for this, Tommy? And then you watch Mystic Force, like, we have two characters in this, two Rangers who are technically old enough to potentially be parents for these kids. Because <laughs> Udana is very much a middle aged mother. And Daggeron looks like he's old enough, potentially, to be their dad. Mid-40s. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, hold on. And then you've got... Because Le Tommy was creeping up to 30. He's too old. And then you've got <laughs> then you got Liambo, who's grandpa. Yeah, basically. I'm like, my how far we've come in just a couple of short years. <laughs> but, I, I, but honestly, I like Daggeron. Uh, we'll talk about Daggeron a little later, I'm sure, when we get to the Zords section and and some of the well, yeah, because he has some of the thematics. An interesting Zord. <laughs> yeah, when we get to some of the when we get to some of the thematics, because I want to save some time for that later on. Yeah, uh, I don't I don't want another four hour episode on Mystic Force. Um, <laughs> so let's move on and we'll talk about our supporting, our supporting cast, cast. Which oh my gosh, the supporting cast goes on for days <laughs> in this show, which is I think good and bad. <laughs> Well, it's part of the, I think it's good because it's part of the world building, but it's bad because it's like, you guys tried to cut costs and you have a lot of cast members yes. in this show. We'll start with Udana, the mentor, the basically she's essentially the Zordon. Yes. We've talked about her before. She's very motherly. Very much. And I like that. The actress plays her very well. 
She is a little bit of an exposition machine, but then again, so was Zordon. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> and, she, but I, I like the energy that she brings to this. We're like I said, we're very used to fatherly figures in Power Rangers, and she's very motherly, and I like that. She speaks with a very elevated tone, which mm-hmm. kind of makes which, she, make, good which Lord, makes in sense terms of to female this mentors. She's miles ahead of what's her name from Turbo. Uh, Demetria. Demetria. Yeah. Because yeah, she, at least Udana's not obtuse. <laughs> well, okay, so let me ask you, which do you prefer, Udana or Princess Shayla? Udana. Udana, okay, I can see that. Udana, Udana fits that. I, th- I feel like Udana makes, she hits that sweet spot of mentor that speaks with wisdom and nur- mm-hmm. and nurturing and you can take her seriously. Princess Shayla, you could take her seriously, but she was a little bit more childlike. She was more childlike and she wasn't as proactive, which mm-hmm. is weird because we find out later that she could have been, but she just decided not to be. Yes. But in this one, I think actually the way we're introduced to Adana, she's just being proactive. She's like, I'm a sorceress. I'm a Power Ranger. I'm going to deal with this problem. And then she loses her staff when she loses her. She loses her ability to become a Ranger. She loses her ability to morph, which she gets back later, which is nice. So that's a bit of a plot thread for her is getting her staff back and becoming a Ranger again, being able to morph. I think it took too long to get there. Though. A little bit, probably, but. I think I, it, it, this is a 32, this is a 30, 32 episode. This is a 32 episode. Ep, this is a 32 episode season. Sorry, I'm getting tongue tied a little bit. And she didn't get her staff back until like the last three episodes. No, it's more, I think the last five or six, the last five or six episodes is when she got her staff back. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was during the 10 Titans run. It was in that the last 10 terrors, 10 terrors. I keep, I keep wanting to call them the 10 Titans because that's never mind. We'll, we'll get there. Cause I have problems. Swords. We will we'll, we'll have problems there. Um, so Udana, I like Udana. I do. I, I I think she fits. I think she does well in that mentor role. And it's yeah. also very nice to see a mentor be as proactive as she is. Mm-hmm. Um, she is as I would say she as if not more proactive. Well, I don't know. Maybe she was. No, maybe the big problem that I have with Udana is that she has to come on the heels of Kruger. And Kruger well, was okay, so, so good uh, as both a mentor and a sixth ranger that yeah, I was actually not going to compare her to Kruger. I know that's the easy comparison because we just talked about SPD. I was actually going to compare her to uh, Dr. Oliver. I could see that as well, but she doesn't, I don't think she fits as well as, as Tommy did either. Okay. That's fine. I just, I mean, was, what, what's your take on it? How I just, compare to Tommy? Tommy was very proactive. Like very, very, very proactive. What the advantage that Tommy had, the advantage that Dr. Oliver had over Udana is he was actively a ranger for longer. So he could be in the midst of battle. Whereas, whereas Udana is proactive in, in, in as much, in as much as she can be where Udana is better than Tommy 
is she had she seems to have this ancient knowledge you know given to her by this book they always so the xenotome the that xenotome. conveniently only shows more stuff when it thinks that the characters have earned it well it's also it's it's pretty convenient it's it's not as convenient as say like the 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 book of uh what is the book of the, the, the book, book of prophecy oh good the book Lord, of that, prophecy that, the book know, of prophecy aka plot convenience yeah the book the the book of plot convenience the book of um, plot convenience so, so so she so she has all of this working knowledge of what's going on this ancient knowledge and this mm-hmm. ancient wisdom whereas tommy was kind of just feeling things out as he goes he had yeah. some he had some working knowledge of what mezagog was up to but and was making educated guesses whereas udana had knowledge of what actually is going on yeah, well, and the other thing is that all of her past experiences does kind of complicate things a little bit because if we take their timelines at face value and remember, you know, what year this takes place, technically they all predate Mighty Morphin by at least a couple of years, which <clears throat> would say that there were other people becoming rangers through other means that were not Zordon. Yeah. Which, I mean, like I said, it potentially complicates things, but, you know, that's, they tend to focus on what's good for that particular show and not necessarily on the, what, you know, what it means for the larger universe, but it's okay. So ultimately, yeah, I I think she, she's a good character to have. She fills the role in in a different way, but not like i said coming on the heels of some of uh, the other characters that we've had not quite as good and no again no fault of the actress yeah. she plays the part marvelously yeah she does and also uh, another person that plays their part marvelously marvelously is her assistant claire played claire. by played by antonia preble who voiced the nova ranger in spd yes yes she did and she i did. wish she had become a ranger in this well, she had her own interesting, she had her own story arc because when we first meet Claire, she's a sorceress in training. Yeah. And she's kind of ditzy, but in a, but in a very endearing way. Very, oh, and in, an incredibly endearing and the, way. And, and this actress, she really sells it. Oh, she does. She does. She sells it, but she's, she makes sure to not make Claire obnoxiously ditzy. She's very, she's, she's aware that she's not doing things as well as she should. Mm-hmm. And she's very sensitive to that, especially in the first public dozen or so episodes. Cause she's like, Oh, I want to get it right, but I can't get it right. But she's always trying to be better. Yeah. She's always striving, which I think is what makes her endearing. So it's, yeah. she has enough self-awareness to know that she's a bit bumbling and a little bit, silly and you know she has some really fun she has a a really it also does help that she's very pretty (laughs) yeah she's definitely power ranger pretty but but she has like a couple of really interesting focus episodes where she becomes the oh gatekeeper the gate she's still your title well, no, you you are Lord Gatekeeper. Yes, I am Lord Gatekeeper, and she is definitely she can definitely be my lady. 
lady gatekeeper. She can definitely be my lady gatekeeper. Anyway, we 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 find out. Hey, 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 dagger on, back off. All right, we find for you. We we find out. We find out that she actually um, has a purpose. She's mm-hmm. not just this. She's not just this. This well, sorceress. And I, think that's, I think her backstory really doesn't form why why she's working as hard as she is because she has a legacy that she's trying to live up to. Yeah, her mother helped to seal away the evil, and her mother is Udana's sister, which means Udana is her aunt. There's a lot of family in this. There's show. a lot. There, there's a lot of family connection, and I almost said that. Uh, it was actually Claire's sister, but that's where I was getting that confused with Udana's sister, uh, because it has been a couple of, admittedly, it has been a couple of weeks or so bef- since I've watched that two-parter. Um, but I, I, I think, she, I think Claire has some really good focus episodes. I feel like Claire, Claire gets the focus episodes that I wish that other members of the team would have gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I hinted at before that there's a two-parter that is about a character who gets robbed in part two. It's Claire. Because mm-hmm. there's a big flashback episode where she finally does kind of figure out how to use her powers well. And she gets to, I mean, she gets to do what the Rangers get to do normally and help yeah. fight the monsters. She turns into a Zord and it's just like all this crazy stuff. And it's like, man, this is really cool. And I like Claire even more now. I want her to be a ranger. And now she can be a great ally. And then we get to part two and she becomes a damsel in distress. And it's all about Nick. Screw you. And it's undermined because, uh, because uh, Nick. Yeah. The more we talk about Nick, the more I don't like Nick. Um, maybe yeah, I like, he's, uh, he's definitely not getting on the list of best red rangers. I think. No, he's not. But uh, even Claire, though his battleizer is surprisingly w- uh, cool and not nearly as ridiculous as most of and the and not nearly as OP as say as Triassic I win mode. Yes, uh, although when he first shows up with the battleizer, it basically just does whatever he wants. Pretty much. So that's Claire. We got to we got to keep moving here. So that's yeah. Claire. Uh, we yeah, act- and then- quite possibly my f- actually she might be one. Of, she is one of my favorite characters in the show. I love Claire. Oh, absolutely. Same with me. Yeah. But we, and now but we have Phineas. We have Phineas, which is our picky of this ep- of this He's season. He's the comic relief for He's sure. He's the comic relief. He's a he, very Bruce Callish sort of character, played by Kelson Henderson. Yeah, he is a he troll. Is a, what does he say? A troblin? He's a troblin. Yeah, he's a yeah, troll he's half and goblin. goblin and half troll, which yeah. is already kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. Which is, yeah, he's he is the bridge. He's kind of the bridge not he's kind of the bridge between our ranger because because the 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 whole premise of this show is there is a there's an invisible world between the human world of Briarwood and then the mystical world the mystical realm or the mystical forest or mm-hmm. whatever the heck they call it that's it's separated from reality again essentially yeah. So which is it, a very traditional fantasy thing to do. It yeah, is connecting the fantasy world and the human world through some sort of a portal or a barrier, whether it's a completely separate world or it's kind of just a little off like the, it is here. You know, and the way they it. and the way they make the distinction is a dark is putting a dark filter on top of it. OK, fine. Yeah, um, they do some clever. They make some clever use of coloring. 
they do. And so, so Phineas, I see Phineas as sort of that bridge between our Rangers and the rest of the mystical realm, because these Rangers, they stumble upon the mystical realm by accident, pretty essentially. And so they're still not quite on solid footing with everything that's going on because they're still human. They're still, they've still, they've still lived human lives and lived human experiences. Mm -hmm. And Phineas in my, and from the way I see it, Phineas serves as that bridge between the Rangers and the rest of the very fantastical mystical stuff going Mm -hmm. on in the forest. Although we don't see (coughs) as many of the other fantasy creatures as I'd like as they probably should have. I wish they would. I wish we'd have seen more of them because I think that would have been really interesting to, for the world, the world Mm -hmm. building, but I get it because of budget. Yeah. But Phineas is, he's interesting. He's very self-deprecating and he, he rambles a lot, (laughs) which is part of what makes him funny. And Although he talks, it's also part of where I'm like, okay, dude, you're going a little long with this. Yeah, he talks him. He talks himself in circles. Yeah, he talk, yeah, he talks himself in circles. Which worked for, uh, for uh, Bridge last season, but mm-hmm. it feels a little. It goes a little over long here. It does. I feel like at points, not all the time, but at I feel points like, it does. I feel like the show is working too hard to make us like Phineas, where. I imagine like if you're if you're like me, I already liked Phineas and you didn't have to work nearly as hard to make me like him as much as I ended up liking him. But then we find out that he has some very lore important things. We find out that he he saved Bowen slash Nick when he was a baby and took him to the human world because his parents were expecting to die. Yeah during a great battle against the, when they sealed away the ancient evil. So, and that's a secret that he kept for a while. And the, they hinted at it where he's like, man, I'm going to have to say something. And so that was, that was pretty nice. We also find out later. I mean, we get hints of it. We find that he's actually weirdly acrobatic, which is kind of cool. And then predictably we find out, oh, he can actually hold his own against some bad guys, which is kind of cool. It's all right. And then he gets into a relationship with a human woman, which is weird. We'll talk about her in a little bit. Yeah. So I, I like Phineas. There's, I don't have much else to say because I know we have to keep moving, but I like, yeah. but then we get to another comic relief, fun supporting character who I think deserved a little bit more attention. Toby Slambrook played by Barney Duncan. Honestly, I think I like Toby more than Phineas the he's a he's He's the Ernie he's definitely a he's definitely a big ideas guy (laughs) but we you explain this is the point where we explain we hinted at the rock porium it's a music store which actually does remind me of some music stores that I have visited in my day and he's the manager at this thing He's very much a like a rock mu- music guru. He makes some rock music references there. There's a he makes a joke about how like uh, when there was an episode where Vita and Nick were fighting because Nick started playing around with her DJ equipment and it made her mad. And he made a joke about how you guys in the store are like 
what do you say? Like, you're like Lennon and McCartney. And then they started butting heads right there over the DJ equipment. He's like, oh man, now I know why the Beatles broke up. <laughs> yeah. So, so he's, he's, he's definitely an entertaining character. Yeah, he's, that, he's very eccentric, but he's I very, kind of expect that with someone who you know is, is as into music as he is. He's right. He yeah. almost has a little bit of like some Jack Black energy to him at points oh uh, yeah i can see that you know that I kind mean, of like manic and you know manic you know musician energy but manic you know, musician, musician enthusiasm yeah 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 like he, and, so and he gets to do some fun things like he gets weird little obsessions in some episodes like there's one where he gets obsessed with a fitness which actually plays into the main plot so he's so he's jack black from school of rock yes yes <laughs> it's about the music <laughs> And uh, there's also one where he becomes obsessed with puzzles, which comes in handy because that's how they unlock the chest. The Rangers unlock the chest that has the egg that from which hatches Fireheart. <laughs> and then when we'll talk about Fireheart here in a minute, but uh, so I, I really enjoyed him. I think his best moment might be when they the Rangers try to tell him for the second time that the reason they keep running off when they should be working is because they're the power Rangers. He's like, really? You're the power Rangers. I'm like, yeah. And now we're fighting a fat toad and we, you know, we don't know what to do because he took our powers. And he's like, <laughs> where it was like, well, if here's you what you're really going to do, the power Rangers, you yeah. would go and use, they would be very healthy and athletic and they would use that to their advantage. And he starts running around and pantomiming. Cause, he, Cause he's like, presumably this toad, this, this toad would be really fat and he couldn't move. And so they would, they would run this way and then they would, and they would jump and they would flip over the toad. And it's just, uh, it's, it was really funny. Uh, yes. That was a very funny. Yeah. That was probably my favorite moment for him. Uh, that well, is when he, uh, in the, one of the last episodes after he knows for sure, where he basically just summarizes the whole show in about 30 seconds. He's like, so you guys met Udana and she gave, made you power Rangers and she's Nick's mother. And <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And then there, and then he has, I am Spartacus moment at the end. Uh, yeah, we kind of get the, we kind of get the, uh, I'm a Ranger too. Let's meow move on into our, <laughs> um, Let's let's move on into our oh, next character, Genji, our ninja character, our ninja type character. Who talks a little bit like uh, who like talks Garfield a little like this? A little bit more energy. Yeah, he talks a little like this. He talks a little bit like a radio announcer. <laughs> Welcome to Ranger FM. I'm your host, Genji. How might I grant your wish? <laughs> what do you wish to hear today? I mean, just, <laughs> he rambles a little bit too. I feel like some of his dialogue had to have been improvised. <laughs> he kind of talks over some of the other characters, <clears throat> but I don't think he's supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> Played by Oliver Driver. I wasn't sure what to think of him at first. I told you. Uh, you told me, but I'm like, <laughs> oh, maybe he'll show up for just like one or two episodes. No, he's a full fledged supporting he's character. He's there. No, he's and, there. Uh, he's a cat genie. But yeah, he hides in a lamp. We find out that he has, oh my gosh, he has a bit of an overcomplicated backstory because like he was rejected by his kind, cast out because they thought he was evil. He got framed for things. And then Daggeron found him while he was trying to get a, 
uh, get some sort of a, a treasure chest. And he said, don't open that. That'll be bad for you. He opens it anyway. And he would have died if Daggeron didn't put him in a lamp. And then Daggeron figures out how to use the lamp as a laser pistol and summon Genji to do attacks. Am I wrong in saying that he's got some Robin Williams energy? Oh, he does. He's, he has big Robin Williams energy. Yeah, he, he, like he's a little bit rambly. He talks a lot. He has some. He has some great zingers. I was yeah, writing a I lot mean, but, of Genji lines now. But there's no way I would let Genji into a birdcage. That's for sure. <laughs> well, we also find out that Genji is. He's a little sensitive. He doesn't like. If he does, you can tell that the people who wrote this are are probably cat people because they're like, I bring in a new, I bring in a new pet, and suddenly the cat is jealous. <laughs> yeah, because. Fireheart shows up and Fireheart's a baby dragon. So he gets a lot of attention and he's like, why doesn't anyone pay attention to me? I feel depressed. I'm going to act out like a child. It's like, I'm a gigantic talking cat who is a genie. Why is no one paying attention to me? <laughs> because I'm a cat and I demand to have attention when I want it. And so I'm going to sit here and I'm going to knock things off the table out of rage. Or in my case, run away, even though I will die in two hours. Yes. Quite. But I like Genji. I like Yeah, I like, I like yeah and he's a, he's a little bit weird, a little bit wacky and but interestingly he Honestly, does get a focus episode uh, the, the char- that adds to his character. This and char- he's the imp- technically the trigger for the best 3 episodes of the show. This character does not work outside of this particular season. No. Genji would be completely out of place in any other season. So the Snow Prince, who's in a couple of episodes, we can breeze through this really quick. He's a character who shows up in within the last few episodes. He's extremely Tokusatsu, very Sentai, very Sentai. I like him. He's played by, oh, he's voiced as you say by Paolo Rotondo, Rotondo. Hope I said that right. And played by Naoko Camillo. Camillo. Sorry, I read that wrong. Yeah, as uh, for the suit actor. Yeah. And like I said, he's got some elevated status. He was Daggeron's mentor. And he comes from a long line of magic users. Comes from a special... Good Lord. We talked about how Mighty Morphin had pocket dimensions for days. This one has alternate dimensions for days, too. Some are which more. Some are more interesting than others, admittedly. Yes. Yes. And yeah, so like I said, he's kind of cool. The, he plays a nice role with a Daggeron focus episode because he's the one who says, Daggeron, you have to learn things. Need to learn a little bit about humility. And I they, think it worked. I, I liked it. It's still, it, it's, it plays into the mild obsession with Nick, but not as much as some of the other episodes. Yeah. yeah. So I like the fact that we had one where the mentor has to learn, hey, you have to stay teachable. Which is a very important lesson for all of us. Yes. Yes, quite. Which, uh, yes, quite. Uh, which you know, I, you know, I like Jack Frost. Mm-hmm. Jack Frost is okay. Yeah, he, he's yeah. a good character. Yeah, and he's very capable of picking a fight with some people, which was cool. Yeah, one of the better fight scenes I think in the show too. Which now leads us into uh, Fireheart. Fireheart. Uh, the dragon. The dragon, which, you know, everyone loves a dragon. Which Claire babies like a mom. 
Well, he's just when he he's first just hatches. A, oh, is he, she, he, she tells her to sit on the egg, so she hatches him. The thing is, is also Fireheart kind of blurs the line because when I when he shows up, he looks a little bit Zordish, and I'm thinking, come on, it's like he's gonna hatch into a dragon. It's gonna be a Zord. It's not a Zord. They do ride him, but he's not a Zord. He becomes the source of the power. He's like Rick from last season. He becomes the source of the battleizer for Nick, but otherwise they use him as a steed a couple of times, a little bit for comic relief. And he was a MacGuffin a little bit for a while because they had to get his egg and then they know what the egg is. So now they want to capture the dragon and use him the bad guys and so you know but then after a while he until he becomes the battleizer he's not all that important but then he's got a special connection to nick and i've oh, got to make it about nick this it, it, did you figure out this show's really about nick i <laughs> i never would have guessed this was about nick oh my gosh he has special connections with everybody fireheart udana leonbo so so fireheart is just a part of the world building it, it, it it's a part of the or he it whatever is a part of the uh he. he is a part of the um uh the mystical magic motif of this season it's i have no problems with fireheart he's an endearing little dragon and i like dragons so we can move on to our villains now yes okay i'm not gonna play the rant master Q because i don't think it's quite worthy of it but my gosh this show with the villains there's a lot of villains. There's a lot of villains, and they cycle through them like crazy. We've talked before how some seasons go through a lot of generals, like 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 Lost Galaxy. Oh my gosh, they change main villains all the time. We really only have one villain who stays on for the whole season. Yeah, and weirdly enough, she's one of the ones I like the most. But we'll talk about her in a second. So, do we want to talk about the master? Yes, so apparently look. has a name, but I didn't know it was. He's just called the master, not to be confused with the master from Doctor Who, but Octopus, and not to be confused with the Magnificence. The, the Magnificence. <laughs> That's how you have to say it. I don't care. The Magnificence. Although I feel like Octopus, the master. Like is that like the octopus cousin for Optimus Prime? What the frick whatever is this. this what, but what, uh, he's basically the magnificence for this season. But he, I don't think he's as cool. He's more weird than anything else. When he first started showing up, he's just a not on a giant eye in a pool. I thought he was going to be a dragon, and then he turns out to be like this Lovecraftian octopus monster elder god thing. He's the devil from. Uh from um uh oh shoot what's the movie legend he's yeah. the, he, he's the devil from legend uh the prince of darkness the prince of darkness tim curry yeah so he's the prince of darkness from legend uh down to the red well that's color. what he becomes right because, oh my gosh when he had get okay because the, the master is weird because we barely see him he's talked about all the time they vast the villains vacillate between a, a lot between what their goal actually is and one of them is to release the master, which they do, kind of. But then the villains get beat, and the master is gone. And then the next set of villains are all about getting him to, or about bringing him back. But instead of bringing him back as just a kaiju, 
They want him to basically be- take one of them as a vessel, as an avatar, mm-hmm. which he does. But then I think the one who's supposed to be his avatar is still running around doing things. So I'm a little confused. But when he manifests and we see him in the last couple of episodes, holy frick, he's pure nightmare fuel. Oh, yeah. It's incre- It's so nightmare fuel. He's like, this- it's just like, oh, my gosh, Toei, you kind of outdid yourselves a little bit there. And, you know, oh gosh, to- I, guys. Will, I will say that I will say this. And this is, is kind like, of he's like he has like an octopus head. Uh, you can't really he has like exposed uh, exposed teeth like he has no lips yeah but the, and the mouth moves and then he'll open up he'll like unhinges jaw and tentacles come out and i'm just like oh good lord well i will say and this and this kind of will we'll talk about this more when we talk about the zords but consider like mystic force has some of the most unique tokusatsu i've seen in the power rangers franchise so far yeah. And that's and one he, of the reasons why I've liked it and credit and especially the villains. The the villains are incredibly unique. Uh um, visually. Visually. Now they're not all that much to speak of as terms of characterization, but visually speaking, they are very uh, it's very Lovecrafty and very um uh, yeah, it's they're kind of doing they're doing something similar with these villains that they did in Lightspeed Rescue because they're basically demons from the underworld because mm-hmm. we want to complicate the Power Ranger cosmology even more. <laughs> and but I honestly, particularly some of these early ones, I think the demons in Lightspeed Rescue were better. Our first, yeah. especially our first main if we're, villain. Yeah, if we're talking about like the, if we're talking about villains like Mordecai, Mordecai is lame. Mordecai, yeah, Mordecai's pretty lame. He's confusing too. He's he's like a weird steampunk cyber he's, demon. Thing. He's a looks ste- like he belongs in Doom. <laughs> he's a he's a steampunk cyber zombie demon. Yeah, because when we first meet our villains. They're in the underworld, and I I heard them say zombies at some point. I yeah, heard them say times actually. I heard them say zombies, and they kind of ditched that motif after a while. And that's what I assumed Mordecai was. He was just sort of this undead-looking villain, like steampunk-looking villain, and he's pretty much he's pretty one-dimensional. He's really one-dimensional, and his goal is very confusing. Because it seems like he's like, I am the only one who can't go to the surface world. Make it possible for me to go to the surface world. Then he gets to the surface world for a hot minute. And then then with no real explanation, he goes back to the underworld and then goes back to, I have to get to the surface world. Open the gate. And then uh, opening the gate becomes a thing. And then he tries to get out of the gate. They get shoved back in, and then they seal the gate. And I'm just like, dude. Pick a goal and stick to the goal and be consistent with whether or not you achieve the goal. Oh, my gosh, show. Because if you could have just thrown in something like, I got to the surface world, but they sent me back, and now I have to get back there. I was just like, oh, my gosh, show. Show. I want to say that Mordecai is overshadowed by one of his generals, uh, Necroli. Which is who a, is and that's the who, one I was talking about. Who is, is one of my infinitely favorites. who is an infinitely better character. Yeah, Necroli is supposed to be a vampire, but she's a, an extremely tokusatsu vampire. She's the vampire queen. She's the fair. vampire queen. Yes, and she has 
she has big old wings on her head that she plays with like it's hair, <laughs> which I actually really like. That's a bit of characterization. I really appreciated. Right. She's and very, she's very feminine. She's she, very, is, she is. And she's very proactive because mm-hmm. she's the one who can actually, who is able to go to the surface one, do things. She's a day walker. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know, uh, you know, no vampire lore, a daywalker is a vampire who can go out in the sunlight. Which technically, if you read the original novel, Dracula was a daywalker. He could go out in sunlight. He just didn't like it. Which makes them one of them. Which makes them presu- Which makes them in in vampire lore the most powerful version of a vampire. You basically, basically. So. So Necroli, I, I liked her characterization. She was consistent throughout, and she had her own, you know, she had her own ambitions, a bit of her own agenda. She didn't always get along with the bad guys. Mordecai was just lame. I understand why she didn't really care much for Mordecai. She was a, she cooperated a little bit more with the next main villain, Coreg. Coreg. Oh no, not Coreg. Imperious. Imperious. Sorry, Imperious. Yeah, Imperious. Which we'll get to him in a moment. It got a little bit weird with the Ten Terrors. She was trying to be more, at least appear to be more subservient, but I think that's because she knew that if she didn't deceive them to achieve her goals, they would literally crush her like a bug. Yeah, it was a little bit by accident because she she finds the Book of Prophecy. Oh, the and book then of she, plot convenience. The book of plot convenience that disappears after a couple of episodes. Right, and then she and then she reads the book that says Necroli finds the book. Then Necroli tumbles to the underworld, and she's like, "Tumbles to the underworld? How does that happen?" And then she starts running away, and then tumbles. Then she falls and tumbles to the underworld. into the underworld. That's where she finds the ten terrors. But we'll get to the ten terrors in a minute. But Necro, yeah. but Necroli, Necroli. I really I like liked, the name. I mean, I love Morticon is kind of a nice name because, you know, like Mortis, mortal, you know, it's calling back to death. Yeah. Uh, Necroli. So like necromancer that goes back. That's also referring back to death. And given that she's a vampire, it makes sense. So I I, I really enjoyed her. She played by a, a very good, the, a very good voice actress. And I wonder if the if at the end when she kind of has a little bit of her Z wave moment. Because she starts trying to go straight at the end. Yeah. And I'm like, is that her actual suit actress? Because I'm with Xander. Hot mom. (laughs) In black leather, mind you. Uh, Uh. Yes. Uh, (laughs) We have learned nothing through this journey. Which, fun fact, I, I realized the other day that we are now officially halfway through our journey through the power Rangers franchise. We, we are, it's which not, is, we're not at season 15, but in terms of how we have the episode structured, we're halfway. We're halfway. You yeah, were halfway down the journey. We're at, with SPD. We were halfway finished. Yeah. Which yeah. is anyway, a little, so, bitter, little bittersweet, but okay, we'll move on. Yeah. Yeah. A little bittersweet, but yeah. So she's interesting and she has a daughter, which becomes weird, but we'll talk about the daughter in a little bit. Actually, no, I did not put the daughter on here. She was supposed to be in the support. You were supposed to. I I am terrible. All right. We need to kind of. Well, well, no, because I think I wanted to put her in the villain section. So I'm going to put her here after her mother. Let's talk about her now. Lily Pimver, played by Holly Shanahan. Now, when she starts, she, she appears fairly early on. She's this. Very flirtatious young woman who just comes in and 
is kind of obnoxious. I didn't care for her all that much. And then she tries to she tries to use her feminine wiles on Toby for a little bit. And she's just, just all around annoying and a bit disruptive. And then we get the first of many plot twists where we find out that she is the daughter of Necroli. So she is the princess of vampires, but she doesn't look like a vampire at all. She doesn't look like her mother. And, Necro- and Necroli's goal is to groom her to be the future queen of the vampires. Yeah, the book of, even the book of plot convenience says, Lily becomes queen of the vampires. Like, but I don't want to be queen of the vampires. Which they don't, which they don't touch on again outside of that moment. But yeah, okay. which is just odd. I'm like, why are, are we going to pay that off? No, we're not going to pay that off. We're not going to pay now, that off. Now, I thought after that plot twist with Lily that suddenly, because I'm like, oh, that makes her a little bit more interesting. And suddenly her conduct from before makes more sense. And then for a few episodes with that knowledge where it seemed like she was kind of spying on the Rangers, disrupting things. She's trying to get in their good graces a little bit. Start, you know, and things that I keep an eye on them. And then they start doing dumb things like randomly turning her into an homage to the fly. From the fifties. A little. Yeah. Cause she, they turn her into an insect, but it still has her human face. I'm like, are we really just going to get rid of her now? No, they don't. But, you know, they, they kind of undermine her a little bit. And then suddenly out of nowhere, she's like, I don't want to be evil anymore. But I'm, but I'm, you know, my mother is the vampire queen. I don't know what to do. And I don't like, she's a little bit like Kim, if Kim was evil. <laughs> she's got a little bit of a valley girl streak in her. It's, she's a really odd character. She gets into a relationship with Phineas. And she's like, I'm a little bit good. I'm a little bit evil. It's just kind of weird. And I'm just, they do some odd things with her. She's not terrible, but I never felt like she was as good as she should have been. What do you think? I don't think she was really necessary. I don't think she was utilized to her fullest potential, to be fair. I I really don't. Uh, She almost felt extraneous at points. uh, She... This is going to sound really cruel, but I kind of almost wish she would have just been killed off. Maybe. Yeah, because, yeah, I felt like she should have been used better. I see what they were trying to do with her, but it didn't quite feel earned. Yeah. You know, like when the, later on when she's trying to go straight and she's trying to get people to like her, it's like, that's compelling, but it's just, I don't know. Yeah. It just didn't quite work for me. This has been done better in previous seasons. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is it as terrible as it could have been? No. No, it, it, it's not. Like, I like Lily. I like I like her as a character. I think she she's a she's a decent foil for her mother because she's in a she's in a, in a weird way. Mm-hmm. She's the conscience for her mother. Yeah, and in a, also in a kind of a weird way, she they're they're doing something very down to earth in a superhero context with her because she's like, my mom is too busy being a super villain and she doesn't spend any time with me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's they, they do. It's such a weird little characterization because it feels like they're trying to kind of insert kind of a, a parenting message in there. Even with our villains, it just doesn't, it just didn't quite gel with me. And not to mention if her mother's a vampire, and the what? book of plot convenience says Lily becomes queen of the vampires. Lily at no point displays any vampiric tendencies 
or characteristics. See, that's the, okay. Okay, so so that's the part that bugged me the most about Lily's character. She's being groomed to be queen of the vampires. She's Necrolai's daughter, but she shows ex- she sh- the only characterization that she shows at all of being evil is just being sneaky and very vain and vain. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, just vampire. Sometime. Vampire, yay, vampire. But uh, I that, just I just verbed vampire. You need to vampire more often, Lily. Anyway, I, I it sounds like we're I know we sound very negative toward Lily. I don't think we mean it. We're not saying she's terrible. She just doesn't live up to her potential. No, she doesn't. And yeah. uh sidebar, her last name is an anagram of vampire. Oh, that's right. She even called that out because she does help yeah. them sneak in. Is she because the the henchmen are incredibly stupid, and she's like, "Do you know who I am? I'm Lily, daughter of Necroli. You're gonna let me through. My last name is an anagram of vampire. Now turn around and don't look at me. <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> you know, and that lets them all sneak in." Okay, I'm thinking, okay, that's funny, but <laughs> I, okay. So I want to do something. I want to change. I want to, I want to kind of, uh, deviate a little bit from the notes. I want to talk about imperious. Then some of the other characters before we get to Korag. All right. I, that's I, I fine. think we're, I think we're going to park on Korag for a little while. We we're going to have to. So imperious is our second main villain who I thought at first was just going to be a general. He's a wizard. As yes. opposed to our weird zombie demon lord with Mordecai, which I like Imperius more than Mordecai. I do too, as well. He's a, he was an improvement, and he's used to be Kalendor, who was best friends with Udana and Leonbo. And so we see, and got, we see, we see his human form in an episode. Yes, but then he also has the Imperius form, where he has like a fan and things, and then he also very has Egyptian. Ancient, yeah, and then and he looks like a mummy. And then he also has an ancient mystic, but why all of the freaking modes? <laughs> why do you have so many forms? Again, I want to watch Magi Ranger to get context for all of this. Cause, oh, just, cause, okay. So, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And this, and I think that mystic force falls into the same trap as turbo where there's a lot of stuff going on. And they're trying to contextualize it. We don't it. talk about turbo. We don't talk about turbo. We really need to make that audio, by the way. Yes, um, JR, send us, send us the audio. Right. The, our fans have demanded it. Yes. Um, so um, it falls into the same trap as turbo where there's a lot of stuff being recontextualized from the Sentai. But some of those recontextualizations don't make a ton of sense. I'm honestly not entirely sure that these are being recontextualized as much. I think at this point they were doing just more straight adaptations than recontextualization. Well, then it's a pro- then it's the problem. Then it's a problem with the Sentai, not a pro- not necessarily a problem with potentially. With, but with I would Mystic need to Force. dig. I would need to dig through a little bit more, and I only had time to research this <laughs> right now. So, yeah, but yeah, so he's got all these lore connections. It's interesting that he's this traitor. I think that's a fascinating idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, traitors usually make for very good villains. Yes. And, you know, he's got personal connections to our heroes, unlike Mordecai, who was just there. So, you know, 
it was said that the creator of Common Rider was very fond of giving the villains connections to the heroes in some form or another. It was a trope he was very fond of. So it were it, they do the same thing here, and and it works. Is it the best example of villain with connections to the heroes in Power Rangers? No, no it's not. It's not, but good luck trying to top Andros and Astronema. Played by, well, voice, as you say, by Stuart Devine. And the, his uh, Calendor was played by Will Hall. And then he gets beat around, uh, you know, about three quarters of the way through the show. And I was literally just sitting there, just dumbfounded, like, what are we going to do now? Because you not only beat Imperius, you basically beat everybody. You blew up the under underworld hideout. Everyone seems to be dead. What are you going to do? And yeah. then we got a new set of villains, and Necroli mysteriously, oh, not mysteriously, was you know, inexplicably not dead. And then we have a very awkward transition for an episode or two to get into the new villains. And I'm just like, okay, guys. <laughs> this is a little, now you're getting a little bit weird. And then what I love is just like, okay, we've already, it's the show. It's almost like the show's like, Hey, we've already had a couple of main villains so far. We keep cycling through them. So now we're going to make up for it by giving you 10. So, so we have 10 main villains who are also basically monsters of the week. Well, okay. So it's very anime. Anime loves doing stuff like this. We have this multitude of villains who have to be defeated. There are, there, there are, 10 of them, but there's definitely what feels like a hierarchy between them. For sure. And so the 10 terrors, which I like the name. I do like the name. It's very kind of Lovecraftian in a way. The 10 terrors and the alliteration is cool. So there's supposed to be these ancient, terrifying, magic, I guess, demons. I don't know what else to call them. They don't really define what they are, but they're basically demons. Mm-hmm. And some of them have some really nice designs or are kind of interesting characters. And some are just, they're cool and they just do stuff. They're very, they're very Japanese. They're very, very Japanese. They're so, very, very Japanese. Like, and when I say that there's a hierarchy between them, uh, the one called uh, Sculpin, Sculpin, Sculpin seems to kind of be their And their, their weird quirk is that they have they love rules and adhering strictly to rules. Yes. They adhere so strictly to rules that if one of them is fighting the Rangers and says, you have to like magma, that's one of them. And he says, if I, if one of whoever beats the other before this tower over here stops burning is the winner and he loses and his own, you know, the other terrors just kill him because he failed to, meet his own rules that's how strictly they adhere to him yes which 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 kind of it's you know in a weird way i was thinking about this last night it kind of plays into our theme it does does. just to give the full list it's magma oculus oculus is my favorite of the bunch okay serpentina who looks like medusa (laughs) mega not to be confused not to be confused with serpentera i know that's weird yeah, Megahorn, Hecatoid, Gekor, Matumbo, which is probably the most fun one to say. Yeah, Etasis, who's female and looks like Isis. Yeah, it looks very Egyptian. 
Black Lance, who's a black knight, and Sculpin, who looks like a ter- who has looks like he has a fish for a head, but he's absolutely terrifying because he's got no lips and crazy teeth. Yes. So even when you think, okay, that one's going to look silly, nope. Yeah, it's very, like I said, it's very Japanese. It they're, is incredibly they're, Japanese. They're all very Japanese. Now, I will say one of like one of my favorites. I know you liked Oculus. Oculus is cool, but I yeah, actually kind of like a, kind of like a robot. He has one eye because that's you know Oculus Cyclops. Cyclops. He, he's a Cyclops. Now, Oculus is uh is a mirror. That's mm-hmm. what the word refers to a you know like a looking glass, a mirror. And he, what I like about him is that he's a sniper. Mm-hmm. So he's the he's the one eye guy, and he's a sniper. Well, one of the, I personally, and I like most of them. I think they have really interesting designs. They're very absurd. I do like Matumbo as well. And Atasis is probably, probably the most nuanced out of all of them. Because Matasis is not interested in power. She's interested in knowledge. Yes. But she's she's one of only two of them that gets to survive the series. Inexplicably, but sure. Remember when I said that I... The one of the th- one of the things that I liked about Mystic Force is its interesting tokusatsu. Uh, Serpentina, w- her focus episode where she is fighting the Megazord can transform herself into a gigantic serpent. Yes. So seeing the Megazord fight a giant python that wraps itself around the around the Megazord or around its its weapon is an interesting visual that we don't see mm-hmm. in, in power Rangers, And she has snake hair and she has snake, snake heads around her face. Yes. Which creates a very interesting silhouette when it look, when it's looking at her. Mm-hmm. So like I said, they're visually interesting. Which one was the fat toad that we talked about? Is oh, Hecatoid. Hecatoid. Yeah. yeah. He's the weirdest, grossest one. He literally spews acid from his belly button. Mm-hmm. It's just, you and you, you know in a weird way it kind of reminded me and spit it in a in a weird way it kind of reminded me of a hydro hog a little bit i can see that so yeah they and they all play off of each other pretty nicely they but like i said their thing it's it's a bit a bit of their hubris is the strict adherence to rules and it and it becomes part of the story it becomes their undoing in a lot of ways so like mm-hmm. okay at least you're using this quirk as a storytelling device. I appreciate that. That that 12 or that 12 or so episode run with with the terrors was I feel like it's more like the, eight. But. It was more like eight, yeah, like 10, 8, whatever, cuz there were a couple of episodes where two of them died or they were both fighting together. Um and I feel like that kind of was the high point for this show aside from the dark wish dark wish yeah so the the 10 terrors are interest outside of just being cool looking designs uh having a, a kind of a pretty badass name in the 10 terrors yeah uh it some, was a lot to juggle though some interesting quirks it was a lot to juggle and now i have a question this is my only gripe with the 10 terrors when we first meet the 10 terrors they are enormous so this show has a really weird flip-flopping of size and scale. 
So when they're in the lair, when they're in their lair, they're presumably enormous because Necroli is down there with them and she's itty bitty, teeny tiny. And they are, they're, they're gigantic. When they pass through the portal, they become human size. So why wouldn't they stay enormous when they pass through the portal? It's magic. We don't have to explain. I'm it. just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's very inconsistent, and it bugged me. It's just. It's just a little quirk. I wanted to. I think it was worth pointing out that there was a. It was a slight inconsistency there. Yeah. All right. So, quick question: Do we want to get the the henchman out of the way and then talk about Korag, or talk about Korag? Let's now? no. Let's get the henchman. Henchman. Ha. Huh. Let's get the That's my other show. Freudian slip. Sorry about that. Uh, let's get the henchmen out of the way, the foot soldiers, and then yeah, we we'll talk. Apparently, we have two varieties. Of yeah, there's them. two sets. There's the there's the Hideax that we meet when we first meet uh, uh, Mordecon, and then there are the stick to the Stixoids, the which sti- are incredibly similar, which is why I didn't think they were different. <laughs> They're not, and really, what's what's really kind of weird about mystic force is you don't see the foot soldiers a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, they do stand out more when they're used. They're used probably best in the dark wish three parter. Cause they get showcased more. Yes. They stick out much better than the terror and then the Tyranna drones. Yeah. So, cause they are much more distinctive. They have these very orc helmet like things yeah. or faces like in uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, I would I imagine. Do, I like the names, especially the Stixoids. The Stixoids make me happy. The that river, makes the me happy. River Sticks. River Sticks, which yeah. plays into the underworld theme. Yes. Uh, Hideax are fine because it's playing off of Hideous. Yes. Because, well, they are. Yeah. <laughs> as villains go, I mean, as foot soldiers go, they get the job done. They have nice designs. They're very, like I said, they're very orc like. They, st- you know, they're more distinctive compared to some other. Foot soldiers, I still wouldn't rank them as among the best. That still goes to the Quantrons and the Putties for me. I'm noodling on something, and uh, okay, so the Hideax. I want to move on from the Hideax and the Sticktoids. They're fine. They're they get the job done. They're very unique, and they're and they are they're 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 incre- they're incredibly horrifying. Mm-hmm. They're a lot scarier than the Batlings, right? <laughs> the beep, 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 who literally just look like a bunch of dudes in spandex morph suits with some funny faces. Right. And they go beep, 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 beep. Okay. Anyway. Um, so when you first were, when you were first started watching mystic force and you were seeing all like the unique visuals, did you, I kind of got caught up in the world and I was actually, when I first, like the first couple of episodes of, of, of mystic force, I actually got a little excited because it, it, I don't know how to explain it, but it just looked and felt different. It was a, it just felt so unique. The world that we were, they, that the creators of the show were throwing us into. And then as the series progressed, and this may be, um, this conversation may be better suited when we talk about thematics, but I wanted to plant the seed here. Um, but as the series progressed, it f- started to feel more and more like run-of-the-mill Power Rangers. 
It did. And speaking of being thrown into a really unique situation, Korag, who looks like a ranger, but is but not a bad a ranger, guy. But he's a bad guy. And he's but he's and he's not a ranger, but he looks yeah. like he could be a ranger. Yeah, Korag the Night Wolf. Knight yes. with a K. And I like that. I thought it was just I didn't know it was Knight with a K until I looked it up. I'm like, oh, okay. That's clever. That's clever. And honestly, ne- next to Necroli, he's probably my favorite villain. At first, I was I didn't care for him all that much because I'm just like, okay, hi, Korag, you're a Klipter light. Korag is a good character. Now, Korag, Korag weighs on me a little bit after a while because of his, his dogmatic just quest for honor and uh you know having a worthy opponent it's similar to it's in a way it's similar to um uh uh uh, uh, uh not villamax not villamax the one from dino thunder um zeltrax zeltrax you know in a weird <laughs> mr take a <sighs> shot every time he talks about revenge <laughs> yes yeah For the it, children <laughs> when we first when we first meet korag he kind of reminded me of zeltrax he isn't nearly as obnoxious. He's not, not nearly. Spewing, no, he's he's not spewing the same shtick all the time. Well, he's not nearly. Well, as he obnoxious. is, but it doesn't feel as grating. He's not nearly as obnoxious. No, but it's still the same. It's still the same shtick every single time. It's like, it's like he get he get he engages in battle. He realizes that the rangers are quote unworthy, and then he retreats. It's okay, fine whatever he never it, finishes anybody off he never finishes anybody off there we which go which at first you just think it's like okay it's just this being the villain thing where we can't have him just kill the heroes or whatever a, no we find out that there's a reason for it it's because he's leonbo this is true Shyamalan twist which makes which makes more sense but i'm saying those first like 20 or so those first like well not maybe not 20 but like maybe like 15 or so episodes it gets really on my nerves because it's like he never finishes the battle. He well, never and there's also on. that weird episode where he's like, you have to defeat this monster before I consider you worthy of fighting <sighs> me. I'm like, dude, you've been I, fighting them. I look as much as I like Korag, I don't like things like that. Like just like making up one more, like moving the goalpost to the point where it gets on my nerves. That's the part. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Yeah. Like I get it. Like in a, in a series, in a series like mystic force where it's, it, where, where you're presumably going down a very traditional archetypal, uh, hero's journey, like we've seen in literature. And there has to be, there has to be touchstones and, and quest achievements and all that stuff. And that plays into what the Rangers are going through. Like they're unlocking spells and essentially unlocking levels of their powers, blah, 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 blah. But this constant, you have to prove yourself worthy before you can fight me, even though I've been fighting you the whole time, gets on my ever-loving nerves. Yeah, it's weird. And it doesn't, it, it was weird at first. It ends up making a little bit more sense later, which we'll talk about when we get to the thematics. I'm not opposed to the idea of them doing this thing where he's actually, he's a good guy who went bad 
because he was corrupted. We've talked about you know the nature of evil and its cor- and how it corrupts. No, that, I which like is good that. and things like I like that, and that's a very, a very good you know fantasy archetype to play with. And so I'm not opposed to that. And I, I'm. It's a little bit weird where after they defeat the master the first time, he gets sealed away, and then Korag is making sure that he never gets away. And so the ten terrors are trying to beat him so they can unleash the master, which yeah. they do. And then Liambo basically, kind of, sort of gets resurrected, and becomes a ranger, essentially. So by the time you get to those last couple of episodes, the ranger team grows to eight which seems to be a little bit of a theme now with this era of sentai and power rangers yeah and you know so there's a lot of things about him that end up making sense the voice actor does sell the role he does i will say that i like the voice actor in fact i like i like it so much i'm gonna make sure i make mention of him so keep talking I was, I don't really have a whole lot to add except for just the fact that as I really, 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 really want to unabashedly just adore Uh, Jeff Dolan. I really want to unabashedly adore Korag, but there are just some things that annoy me about the character. And I think it comes down to the, the writing of his character. All right, so speaking of, uh, we've been hinting at it, of unique tokusatsu, we need to talk about the Zords. Okay. The Zords this okay. season are interesting, to say the least. The Zord, look, the Zords are probably the best part of Mystic Force. Potentially. Because of what I said earlier, it is, and I keep repeating myself, the reason why I like Mystic Force is the unique tokusatsu. Yeah, because the unique visuals specifically. Yeah, so let's start with our first and I guess kind of primary. Although they stop using the original Zords after about two thirds of the way in. Yeah, they, they it goes from the uh, after they get their leg, their quote unquote legendary power up. Yes, when they when they start when they when they yeah, I can't can't talk for some reason uh, when they start using their legendary power up. They quit using the battle Borgs. I mean the, the mystic force Megazord or, or the Titan Megazord. Sorry, the Titan Megazord, which is a really, which is a really interesting thing. And I, and I saw this on Twitter on Ranger Twitter earlier today that someone pointed out that, um, I can't remember who the user was. I wish I would have wrote that down, but someone pointed out that one thing that's one thing that's really interesting about the Disney era of seasons is they have very unique naming conventions for their Megazord outside of name of the season Megazord, like Lightspeed Megazord, Wild Force or not Wild Force, uh, Galaxy Megazord, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we have the Titan Megazord made up of the Mystic Dragon, the White Titan or no, sorry. The White Titan is Udana's. Uh, yeah. That's her power up form. Yeah. Uh, so the Mystic up- Phoenix, Mystic Dragon, Mystic Garuda. Now that's interesting that they kept that name, which I'm guessing is probably from the Sentai because a Garuda is a Asian bird god. Mm. A you might remember, you might know the name from Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla two. That was the name of the airplane that went with Mechagodzilla. Yeah, the backpack cannon. Yeah. Uh, the Mystic Mermaid and the Mystic Sprite. Wait, soda? What? 
Wrong. Soda? I don't think I, that's yeah. how it, I don't think that's how Sprite is spelled. Actually, I think it is. How that is how it's spelled. And then the Mystic Minotaur. Mm-hmm. Now, why the reason why we're saying that these are all unique, because if you didn't know what actually happened, it just seems like a typical Megazord. You know, the animal theme, separate Zords that all combine into the Megazord. Right. Here's the thing. These are not robots that the Rangers summon. They become the Zords. And I have to say, I do like the morphing sequence for this season for everything. It's kind of epic. Because the the way they show how things transform or they grow or whatever is they make a a magic circle and then they pass through it. Yeah. And that's how they that's how they morph into the ranger suits, and it's also how they turn into the Megazords. And it's like you know, Mystic uh, uh, Mystic Titan, something or other, with big announcer voice who says funny things in Latin, so it sounds kind of magical. Mistros, Mistros Titan, something, something, something. Yeah. Yeah. So this is literally the Rangers as the Zords. Yes. And I'm here for it. I like I it. I actually, no, I like this. I, I do like this. It is very unique. It it, it, it makes for and some. And they're all different sizes too, even though they're all giant. Oh yeah. The, the mystic minotaur is huge. And the little mystic spider, she's tiny. She's itty bitty. Yeah. The uh, pink one is, it's, it's, it's sprite. It's tiny. Yeah. yeah. And sprite is, that's a mythological creature. Sprite. It's are, like a fairy. It's a fairy. Yeah. It's essentially a fairy, um, which I, I really like. I really like the vi- I really like this Titan Megazord, which it's kind of when it when it actually I actually I think I like their their battle modes more than the actual Megazord itself. Yeah, I would agree with you. I like the separate Zords more than I like this one. But although this one does have wings, the Titan Megazord has wings, which is kind of nutty because which... the wings go on for days. Yeah, that's that's the one thing I don't like about the Titan Megazord. It looks incredibly cumbersome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it also there's also an alternate mode for that because you have the Mystic Dragon, which is what four of them can combine into, and then the Red Ranger can ride it. Yes. So we have we've talked about before how it's always kind of funny to see a humanoid Zord riding on top of another Zord, going all the way back to Mighty Morphin season two. Yes. So we have this one. So it's like okay, you're you're a you're a Mega Zord riding a dragon. I I, I got nothing. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 unique. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's although what makes it a little confusing is they still do the cockpit, even though it's supposed to be literally the Rangers as the Zords combining together. There's somehow still a cockpit with all of them in it. My head cannon is that it's just it's you're looking at one combined brain perhaps but they also get really weird they try to work in some chess motifs in that with the zords a little and their catchphrase is checkmate when they kill a monster yeah it's kind of weird and then they said like hey we're in a cockpit and we can move around like pieces on a chessboard to do strategy and then they don't really do that a whole lot yeah dino fury will dino fury will go on to embrace this motif a lot better and a lot more yeah, so that's a little bit odd. Like I said, I feel like, again, it's kind of the light speed rescue thing. A lot gets crammed into this. Yes. And it doesn't all work. Yes. And but the second thing we get introduced to 
is the uh, Centaurus Wolf Megazord. <laughs> Which our friend, our friend JR was not prepared for. You like, know, like he sees a centaur sword and he just checks out. I'm, I'm, you know, I was really tempted to give this, give the award to the Centaurus Wolf Megazord only for just, just in well, honor no, of our friend the JR. The Centaurus Wolf Megazord is when it is when it goes into battle mode. Before that, it's just a cent, it's a centaur Megazord and it's crazy. It's Korag. Yes. Who combines with Catastros. Catastros, which is a really fun name to say. That is a ver- that is a really fun name. I do like that. I do like the name, which is a horse. Yes, in which he can ride. Yes. You know, just ride as a steed, or he which, combines with Catastros. I just fun to say. Which is which plays into some like very, uh, which has been used before in mythology. You have to tame the horse. Uh, you have to tame Pegasus. Uh, I think is it um, uh, Clash of the Titans does this. Yeah, but that's only in the movie. Well, it, the the story of taming an animal to achieve a goal is something that's been used in oh, literature yeah. before. Oh yeah, plenty, plenty. Because that because there's a couple episodes where Nick, because it's all about Nick, gets to tame Catastros and use him for and become the uh, the Centaurus Phoenix Megazord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then there was also for uh, uh, one time the. Phoenix Unizord, because it's a unicorn. Of course. But that only happens once or twice, and then they forget they have a unicorn on their side. Which I think is also a pretty well-designed Zord. Uh, it's 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 the combination between the Phoenix... It's it's, it's between the Phoenix... Uh, oh, shoot. It's the Red Phoenix and the unicorn that can... Uh, unicorn known as Bright Star. Yeah. Um, which is also a pretty cool name i think for a horse it sounds like a my little pony it does but <laughs> come on just embrace it nathan come i on. i i'm fine it's not terrible i was just like that's just what it reminds me of i personally i'm guessing this is again because they're slave to the sentai more than usual i thought it would have actually been a little more interesting if nick had just tamed catastros and catastros never went back to korag yeah that would have been a lot more interesting than introducing a, a brand new horse. Yeah. But Catastros is just a black stallion and Bright Star is an actual unicorn. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just to get some of these other kind of, you know, alternates out of the way, we also have the Night Wolf, Night with a K. Uh, yes. Which is just, Basically, just big Korag. Yes, which makes it essentially yes. Um, and then we have uh, then we have this then we have the Solar Streak, okay. (laughs) And Solar we have Solar Streak, and we have the Solar Streak Megazord. Okay, we need to park here. This is a train. You mean we? uh, Let's say we need to pull it into the train station for a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not the first time we've had a train as a Megazord, no. but I was not expecting a train Megazord in a show like this, belonging to a knight-themed character, Solaris Knight. And it's a steam engine that can travel to other dimensions and is also a Zord. Mm-hmm. It has passenger cars because there's even a fight that happens in one of the passenger cars. You know what it kind of reminds me of? What? 
the Polar Express. Yeah, I can see that. But I here's my theory. I think I know why they're doing this. It's Harry okay. Potter. Oh, yeah. Because oh, that's yeah. how the kids in Harry Potter get to Hogwarts. They go to a train station and a magical train takes them to Hogwarts. Yes. I So you have, but the thing is, you have to really know that for this to make any sort of sense. Because, because otherwise, it, it, the, mo- the train motif doesn't really line up with the night motif. Well, the train, the, the train, the solar streak Megazord has a unique finishing move where it's not a outward. It's a, not an outward projectile. It's not a, it's not an energy beam. It is a tractor beam that pulls its enemies into the furnace inside of its train. That's how, it, and that's how it kills. <laughs> and it incinerates them. And it incinerates them. Yes. That's it's a kind little of horrifying to be honest. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. But at the same time, I would say it's not as nearly satisfying as traditional yeah but it's different it's different yes but it's not as satisfying in my opinion yeah and the the megazord version of that does look a little odd it's very boxy very boxy it's very top heavy it's got these big long arms it's very wide body and short dumpy legs yeah so basically it's the danny devito zord but taller yes (laughs) <laughs> it's a it's listen it's, to our listen to our zeo episode to understand it's, it's the power it's the power lifter of this the, season <laughs> it's it's got a, it's it's definitely the power lifter of this the power lifting zord of this season because it's got a very power lifter very wide body um and then we get on to what personally i think is the best zord or my favorite Zord of this season is the Manticore Megazord, which is very mythological. Yeah. You asked me to do research. (laughs) So here you go. It's actually a Persian creature, although the name Manticore comes from Latin. And it's actually very similar to a Sphinx. Interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it has the head of a human, the body of a lion, and the tail. They left this part out. And the tail of a venomous snake. Yeah, because in Oh, no, not a snake. Uh, It has, excuse me. It has a tail of venomous spines that are like porcupine quills. Right. So, and, 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 uh, or a, a scorpion tail, not a serpent. It's a scorpion tail. Right. And, and they, they leave that part out. And if you look at the back of this Manticore Megazord, it has a tail, but it's a lion's tail. Yeah. So they left that part out. So you could make the argument, it's not really a Manticore, but. Eh. It's, it's close enough. Yeah, it's close enough. And Manticores have shown up in some other things. It's not as commonly used legendary creature in a lot in pop culture but i'm glad that they did use it yeah it's one you don't it's it's one you don't see a whole lot because we've seen pegasus we've seen you we've seen griffins and things like that before in yeah, Power I mean, Rangers. A, a sphinxes are far more common sphinxes are far yeah sphinxes are far more common like the the egyptian motif is a lot more commonly used look at zeo the 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 blue sphinx um but Manticore just kind of stood out because one, that is a that is a mythological beast that does not get used a lot, and its design is very. Oh, it says in some accounts the the tail could shoot arrows. Ooh, interesting. And it would eat its prey whole with its triple row of teeth. 
It looks cool. I like it. It's very, it kind of falls into the trap though. That's a lot of the power up Zords fall into where it just looks very cumbersome. Yeah, Cause this operate. is the one that they get. This one is weird. This is the one that they, you get after they get the legendary power up. Yeah. And what's weird about it is again, because Sentai loves favoring red Rangers, which just feeds into the mild obsession with Nick. Cause it's all about Nick. Nick turns into his own Zord. He is the mystic lion. Mm-hmm. No, the mystic firebird. Excuse me. He's the mystic firebird. Cause that's, you know, if you look at their visors, they're all meant to emulate whatever animal is attached to him. So he's the mystic firebird. And then the other four Voltron together. And I say that intentionally because the four of them combine into the mystic lion which will then do circus tricks and jump through fiery hoops to combine with the firebird to make the manticore. Yes. It's a little odd. It's very odd. It's very odd. But again, it creates some very unique visuals for this particular season. Yeah. Although the other swords kind of disappear. They never go back to the Titans and the when they try to in the finale when they try to do the beat the monster beat the villain with the zords and the zords get beaten so we can't have them anymore they use the manticore and then they just never use it again that's why this is kind of weird because like you don't need to summon robots because you are the zords so you could still use the zords but they just don't right okay okay fine it is what it is yeah but yeah, there you go. Uh, as Zords go, it's unique. I'll say that. Yeah. You know, it's a little odd, but I'm glad that they did it. It's as much as we're ragging on Mystic Force, I have to give Mystic Force credit and Magi Ranger as well. I have to give them credit for being this is probably Different. the most experimental I think they've gotten in a while. Well, this is. This might be projecting my uh, Morphin Time, what I'm going to say in Morphin Time, but I think Mystic Force was a palate cleanser, at least for me. That's how I'm kind of viewing. That's how I'm kind of viewing Mystic Force as a palate cleanser, because it is such a unique series uh, in the grand scheme of the franchise itself. Mm -hmm. And that's probably why I've had that's, that's probably why I've been able to have so much fun with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, is because it is such a unique experience some and something we're not used to. Um, I was very happy with the fact that uh, I was very happy with the fact that the amount of Zords was fairly manageable. With, it is, with but uh, after Wild Force, everything feels manageable. <laughs> you know, it was manageable. I, I liked it. And it created some really unique visuals like a, like the Red Phoenix riding on top of the dragon uh, to mm-hmm. fight, the, to fight the Centaurus more to fight the, the Centaur, the, the Centaur Megazord, which is just a wild image. Admittedly, it, that is it, a wild look, image. I told you it's, it's such a wild image. And, and that was like episode two or three. It was early on. Yeah. Yeah. It was very early on. It was such a wild looking image and very ah, just, it's just such a unique image to look at. And it's something that really caught me off guard when I was watching it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
All right, so let's highlight a few monsters of the week because we got a heck of a thematic discussion to get to. Oh boy, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So we'll go. We'll, we we could probably go pretty quick here. So Nate, yeah. what was your? I first? only have three that I really wanted to highlight. I, a lot of the villains became monsters of the week, like the Ten Terrors. Well, I actually only had two myself, but so okay. We'll, we'll, let's I'll see let if you, we have some overlap here. I'll let so, you start. Uh, my my first one is Fifty Below. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which, He's they had another subset of monsters that they used for a while called the barbarian beasts that were in several episodes. Uh, I think it was a multi-parter even. It was and, a it was a multi-parter and their yeah. day and their debut was really kind of hellish too because they uh when they when they first come out of the black and they they interact with Korag and they're just they're scary. They're scary. They're very unsettling. Yeah, but uh, uh our friend Elijah and our co-host in common, Travis Alexander, will be amused by this because, well, first off, the name Fifty Below is already kind of funny, and he is—he's a Yeti. Of course, uh, that's only funny if you know. Uh, he's a Yeti who, with a mask, like like I, well. He's he wears a mask that looks like a goalie and he plays hockey. <laughs> and his his attack is literally getting out a hockey stick and smacking a puck <laughs> at his opponents. I kind of love it. <laughs> uh so my first monster of the week that I wanted to highlight is the chimera, which also I had that one as well. Which also has uh, which also has some uh, 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 mythological significance mm-hmm. because the chimera is the combination of several creatures. And mm-hmm. it's just a, re- it's just an incredibly unsettling looking monster. Yeah. And the, the word chimera has taken on a lot of interesting meanings over the years. You know, the, uh, the chimera is also used as a term in genetics mm-hmm. for a bunch of cells that are combined together. Single organism composed of cells from more than one distinct genotype. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, yeah, but the original Chimera was I'm trying to look it up what it was originally because it's a very specific creature. It's the head of a lion, the body of a goat. Yeah, it's fire, a fire breathing hybrid composed of a lion with the head of a goat. The tail of a scorpion. Uh, no, the tail is a snake's head. Oh, the tail is a snake. That's right. Okay, so the tail is a snake's head. Oh, wait, no, excuse me. It's the head of a lion. It's depicted as a lion with the head of a goat protruding from its back, and its tail is a snake's head. And it's the sibling of Cerberus and the Hydra. Interesting. Mm, So it's a Greek thing, and it's the offspring of Typhon and Echidna, in case you wanted to know. Well, we should mention the Chimera was supposed to be all of the opponents that Leonbo had ever defeated, and it had multiple heads all over its body, and they would all talk. So another one that I wanted to highlight was Ursus, oh, which okay. Ursus, which is you can uh, which is came from the Dark Wish Part Three, mm-hmm. um, which is really interesting. They named it Ursus because Ursus is actually the constellation, the bear constellation, Ursa. Ursa. Yeah. Ursa major, Ursa minor. Mm-hmm. And so, but this creature looks nothing like a bear, but I wanted to highlight it because it came from like literally it came from like two of the best, 
or three of the best episodes of this particular season. Then there was uh, the Hydra Worm, which was really interesting because uh, you because yeah. that was a really interesting little bit of tokusatsu. Um, it was really early on in the season. And you mm-hmm. do, cause we don't necessarily get creatures like the Hydra Worm in Power Rangers. It's always very like humanoid, two arms, two legs. That's it. You don't get a whole lot of like eight headed Hydra type creatures. No, no. And my, the, my last one is Screamer. Oh. Although Chip came up with a better name that I'm surprised they didn't use. You remember Screamer? I remember Screamer. She was, she was the, uh, she was like blue. She was like this she was blue. blue. Bird. She was bird. She was a bird, but uh, she has a bird beak on her forehead. You can't see her eyes. And she has yeah, a bird her beak eyes are, on her, her, eyes are covered her uh, feathers. Yeah. Yeah she, yeah. she has a bird beak on her forehead and, and she could scream from it and do, you know, sonic attacks. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, wow, that is a very Sentai sort of villain. And I like that one. But I like Chip's nickname for her better. Foul mouth. That's such a that is such a better name than Screamer. And then we were confusing in the next episode and had another monster that we called Shrieker. I'm like, okay. Screamer and Shrieker in back to back episodes. There's just such unique looking creatures, and they're very Japanese. They're very Sentai. But in the context of this particular one they work. Um, I don't like, I don't know. Like they could, they could probably, they could have reasonably worked with, I'd say maybe Lightspeed rescue, which was very demon themed, but outside of that, I don't know where else they would have really worked super well. I think the chimera would have worked, would have worked extremely well with, uh, with the demon theme of Lightspeed rescue. Um, I, I don't want to talk about it, but we get another set of evil Rangers. Yeah, and again, nothing can live up to the psychos. Now it's getting to the point it's like, is this we're just going to do this every season now? Yeah, at least one episode with Ranger clones. All the, and what was weird about this one is you can tell them apart. It's just that the our actual Rangers have white necks, and the the evil clones have black necks. I was looking for the difference, and I didn't even notice the difference. Honestly, it was the black necks. Yeah, it's that's it. But it's very hard to keep track of that. Yeah, it's 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 I like I said, I could not tell the difference. I'm like, oh, crap, they're going to do the they're going to do the evil ranger trope, but they're going to do it so that we can't tell the difference. That's helpful. So that's Monsters of the Week. Not a whole lot, not a whole lot to talk about outside of just how interesting they are. Yeah, and let's get on to the thematic discussion. There's a few other things we could talk about. The, the Rangers get some vehicles in this. They're token motorcycles. They get Star Wars speeders. <laughs> Star Wars speeder bikes. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot that we could talk about. We went back and forth on Mystic Force, trying to settle on a theme. Yeah, initially I said, what I said the original theme was, uh, patient, no, you no, said. Belief. Belief. That was the original one. Yeah. When you first started the show, you thought it would be belief, but it didn't really carry through. It didn't carry through. And the reason I thought it was belief is because of how much convincing our Rangers needed to, how much convincing Nick mainly. Yes. Nick. Uh, damn it. Nick. Um, (laughs) if you ever, if you've ever watched, um, if you ever watched new girl, you'll get the reference. Um, so, uh, 
when we first started, I thought the theme was belief because our rangers didn't necessarily believe in magic. If you believe in magic. Okay. Um, that bordered on too campy for me. And it bordered. Yeah, it, it bordered on too campy. I get it. If it was that throughout the entire thing, it's, it that might be the most Disney esque thing that they put in there. It's just like, you're throwing that in there. You're using that line because Disney, aren't you? Yes. So, um, so then after we progressed through the season, I was struggling trying to find a theme. Yeah. And then, and then you talk to your girlfriend <laughs> who suggested valor valor. Yes. Because she is a, she is a nerd who likes to read classical literature. She has read Lord of the Rings. She has read all of the game of Thrones books. Uh, so she enjoys this kind of stuff. And valor valor is a little bit, it, it, it encompasses courage, heroism, you know, those kind of aspects. And there is some, there is yeah, some yeah, elements talk of, of it this. because a tassis, is like, how have you been able to beat us even though we're more powerful? And Nick says, because we have one thing that you don't have and you can't teach it. What's that? Courage. Yeah. All right, cowardly lion, here you go. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, actually, now that I think about it, the manticore is a lion and they talk about courage. Holy frick. More Wizard of Oz. Yeah, so there's another, there's another connection that we can make. Yeah, okay, so that's twice in this episode where... We're making connections we didn't normally we yeah, wouldn't have thought. But of. anyway, well, so we thought about that one for a little while. I started getting deeper into Mystic Force with that kind of in the back of my head. We were still a little unsure about it, and then literally, I think yesterday, uh, I had thought of it actually. I think just a couple days ago, and then I finally called you up. I texted you and called you yesterday, and I said, "I've got it figured out." Honor. Yes. Which encompasses courage. Uh, when I watched the Disney Brain video, uh, video on this season, he argued that it was responsibility or means and ends. But I think it all honor, and I think, encompasses all of it. And I also think that because the problem we were having with Valor is that we didn't feel like it really applied to anybody but the Rangers. Yes. And but then when to, I figured we, out honor, what solidified it for me was when I was watching dark wish part two, which by the way, the dark wish three parter is the, is the highlight of this. Yes. Uh, of this. Yeah. Show. They're like, we, we talked That's about the high point. We, we talked about there not being a proper crossover in this season and typically the cross, <laughs> but then Phineas meets piggy. The, the, <laughs> the, the cross, the cross, the cross piggy just moved <laughs> to the, to earth. And is predicting the future without knowing he's predicting the future. The crossovers typically they crossovers tend to be high points in a particular, in a particular season, but the dark wish is the high point for it is indeed the high point for, uh, uh, for, for mystic, mystic force. force. Yeah. Yeah. And that one is actually, it, it, figures out that you logically this is what you want to do with this kind of a setup the bad guys imperious capture genji and basically make him do what he's supposed to do as a genie grant him a wish and yeah. they wish that the power rangers never existed which creates an alternate timeline where everything goes to black and white and the rangers even say the color's all gone like they yeah. actually see there's no color 
anymore. Yes. I don't know how metaphor, how literal that's supposed to be taken. And so they're in this alternate world where the bad guys have taken over and everything is a mess. It's extremely dystopian. It's really dark. It's probably the darkest three episodes of the show. Mm. And that literally and figuratively. But the Rangers manage to retain their memories somehow. And someone else who also does is Korag. And Korag's not happy with things. He'd already been getting a bit disgruntled with the bad guys at that point. Because the bad guys are tr- are being very Machiavellian. And they're like, what is with you and honor? Stop it with your honor. We're tired of your... You're not getting the job done because you're so worried about honor. Which I found interesting because... Korag's not the first "quote unquote" honorable villain that we've had in the in the franchise so far. We had a Clipter, we had Treacher on. They uh-huh. all adhere to codes of honor. But this is the first time where I feel like they're actually the other villains are call or uh, Villamax. They are actually calling the character out. The rest of the bad guys are calling him out, saying, "Why are you even bothering?" And then we get to this moment, and this was the moment that I'm like, where it just clicked. Like I've got it. I've got it, which is, and we'll talk about it a bit more in the awards, but basically Korag finds the Rangers and they have a bit of a verbal spat with each other where he, where they're asking, why are you even helping us? And he basically says, because of my honor. And he's like, it was like, what do you care? I was like, what does that matter to you? And he, you just want to take over the world. And he's like, none of that means anything without honor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I started I'm like, hold on. And I started thinking about what was going on before this. We also, oh, another one we discussed was a uh, delay gratification. And I thought dark wish was going to go that route because the Rangers were just using their magic powers to do normal things. And I'm like, well, that goes against what Zordon told them, which is don't use your powers for personal gain for personal gain. Yeah. Yeah. But then the episode was like, uh, I I thought that when they were doing that, and it wasn't the first time they had done it a little bit before that, but then the episode was like, Oh yeah, we're, we're going to call that out. I'm like, Oh, okay. Smart move show. And now the only, my only thing is that I, what I kind of wish they had done is that it wasn't the bad guys who made the wish. I kind of wish it was the Rangers. I thought that's how they were setting it up. It was the Rangers who used Genji to make a wish and then the wish backfire. So it's their fault. This happened. As opposed to just Genji getting caught by the bad guys, but you know, no, it's that's neither here nor there. So when I started thinking about it, so it works with the villains because the villains, like I said, are more pragmatic. They don't care about honor. Korag is trying to care about honor, which right, and the reason he cares about honor is because he's actually Lianbo. So that puts it that creates conflict between him and the rest of the villains at least the first set of villains. And it creates conflict because he doesn't finish the Rangers off because my honor. And then we had Imperius who also didn't really get it and chastised Korag for his adherence to honor. But then at that point, it is Korag's honor that makes him turn against Imperius that and his slowly returning memories of who he really was. Mm -hmm. And then what makes it interesting is that I mentioned, we mentioned before the 10 terrors have a strict adherence to rules, 
which can be seen as a form of honor. They're like, we've set parameters, we have rules, and we are sticking to the rules. Because the rules work. Yeah. Or at least they think the rules work. Mm-hmm. And characters like Atassis is more interested in knowledge than power and is willing to actually go against all the rest of them. Matumbo actually doesn't really want to be a bad guy. He doesn't yeah, we, like hurting people. In yeah, fact, we he get, even saves a little kid once. Yeah, we from get getting the, hit by a car. We get the monster of the week wants to be a good guy trope. Yeah, yeah, and you know, so, and then you know, Matumbo was was selected to be the avatar for the master, and but he didn't really want to do it. He was going to throw himself into a lake and sleep forever so that the master wouldn't manifest. And then Sculp and says, "Nope," <laughs> and then lets himself be the avatar for the master. You know, so we do have villains who, in some weird way, in the last quarter of the show, are adhering to a code of honor. It's a very weird one. It's more just they don't call it a code of honor. It's just like these are rules, and we stick to the rules. So you've got all that, and that, but the fact that the Rangers, it is called out early on in the series, the Rangers have to earn everything that they get. They don't. They get more spell codes by doing heroic deeds. And then there's that funny is, episode where I think it was Chip and then Madison. No, it was Chip and Vita are trying to just do random good deeds for people, like odd jobs, thinking that'll get them more spell codes, and it doesn't work because they're basically told like, no, it doesn't work like that. Which is why I thought this season was about gratification. Which was part of the season was about instant gratification because these teenagers seem very impatient to yes. to to get their new powers. Yeah, but here's the thing: that honor still is still part of that because taking the fast route ne- is not necessarily the the most honorable route, is it? No, it's not. It's not the most responsible route. It's not the most responsible. It's not the most fulfilling either. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes when we if we have access to everything at once at our, if we have access to everything at our, if everything is at our disposal, we tend not to appreciate anything. Mm -hmm. It's like people with, uh, exorbitant amount of money. It's, it's like people with, 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 with excessive amounts of money. I'm not especially if they're born into it, if they're born into money. Yes. If they're born into privilege, they, I'm not saying this for everyone. Like, like Wes, like Wes. Yeah. Like characters we have seen. So I'm going to, I'm going to just focus on characters that we have seen. If they are, if they are born into privilege, they tend to take certain, they tend to take things for granted and until they're met with opposition and they have to maybe wait for something or they have to maybe try to, they have to earn something. They have to earn the trust of their team. They have to earn their powers. They have to, they have to earn the right, or they have to earn the skills needed to mm-hmm. defeat the dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we have to. Uh, the egg is not just the dragon egg. Is not just going to hatch instantly. No, we have to hatch it. We have to hatch it. We have to. We have to. We have to nurture it. We have to hatch yeah, it. Yeah, we, we have to hatch it. And then, like a, oh, like then a, it's a little baby, so it's not instantly gonna be running around and fighting bad guys. We have to a, nurture the baby. And we've seen this in media. I don't necessarily. I don't think we've necessarily seen this in Power Rangers, but we've seen this in media as well. Like you've got the star athlete who is just good at everything, but takes everything for granted because he's good at everything. And the moment he's met with opposition then it all just kind of falls apart because he doesn't know how to deal with waiting. Mm-hmm. 
But if in order to be honorable, you not only have to do the moral thing, a lot of times the moral thing means being patient, doing the hard thing, mm-hmm. and taking responsibility, which the Rangers had to do in, say, Dark Wish. Now, they weren't the cause of it, but they had to learn a very hard lesson. Yes. And it wasn't until they learned the lesson that they got their powers back and they were able to beat the bad guys and undo the, and well, and earn the right to have the wish undone, which we'll yeah. talk a little bit more about that. Cause there are some interesting and cool things in that three-parter that well, there's some interesting, the there's, as much as I have kind of done, as much as I've kind of dogged the finale, I, I, no, no, I've really not talked about the finale all that much in this episode. I really it's didn't. It's not quite, that good. It's not that good. Like, no, the finale is not that good. It's not. And it feels a little disjointed. And it feels disjointed. It feels. It doesn't pay off everything it should have. Like, you know, like Lily was supposed to be the queen of the vampires. And that never ha- really happens. They don't even really wrestle with it too much. Nick and is, correct. Nick, Nick's elevated status as like this chosen one never really comes into play. And correct me if I'm a little off base, but even that scene at the end where they get their powers back, they don't really, it doesn't really feel all that earned. I wasn't bothered by that so much as how they ultimately defeat Octomus the master, which is just dump a bunch of power into him. Yeah. Yeah. It's he essentially dies because he eats too much. Yeah. Death by gluttony. Nice job. I mean, okay. glu- gluttony is have one done of- that before. Gluttony is one of the seven deadly sins. And, well, and they get their powers back because the woodland fantasy creatures that we've hardly seen and the people of Briarwood have a kumbaya moment and say that they all like each other. And I'm just like, and they all believe in magic now. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute. I when believe. Was there, when was their animosity between them? That there, comes there, out of nowhere a to little be, bit. To be fair, to be fair, it's kind of implied that they don't even know about each other. Yeah, it's just, it's odd. It's odd. But all of that to say, you know, doing the honorable thing, you know, it again, like they said about courage, it's like it's something, you, it's not, well, I guess you can teach it, but you might be able to teach principles and rules, but you can't teach people to actually do it. Yeah. Yeah, they have to make the choices to actually do it. And it, like I said, it's not always the easiest thing to do. And talking about codes of honor, you know, things, you know, and it, it works for a fantasy setting like this because something like, you know, chivalry, because this yeah. takes the most inspiration from Western sources, knights and Greek mythological characters and all of that. So chivalry was a code of honor and, you know, a very idealized code of honor. But to look at the Japanese roots of Super Sentai, Bushido, which was practiced by the samurai, that was a code of honor. And you were expected to live, you know, they were, they were these big ideals. And anyone who's honest with their history will say that none of them lived up to it exactly. But yeah. without an ideal to strive for, What's the point? That's why we love superheroes. That's why we just love heroes in general. We need them because they give us something to strive for. You know, uh, these particularly ones like, you know, like a Superman or a Captain America, or pff, I'll just throw him in there. Tommy Oliver. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, these very idealized heroes. Okay, you can't be as quote unquote perfect as they are, but let's keep working toward that. Let's be like them as much as possible. Now, that isn't to say that you can't have heroes. I think at the term I heard for it was the 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 cathartic motivational heroes who are much less perfect, but they're to remind you that they make mistakes and they learn from them and then they move on and they try to be better people. You know, so a character like Daredevil from Marvel Comics, he screws up all the time and he knows he screws up all the time, but he keeps moving forward. Spider-Man is a cathartic motivational hero, screws up all the time and he keeps going forward. So there's different ways that a quote unquote code of honor can be followed. You can either look at heroes who try to live up to it, make mistakes, learn from them, move on, or you see someone who actually keeps to it. Yeah. And you're like, I want to be like that guy. I just feel like it's really hard for people these days to have any amount of honor to them. Uh, maybe that's just my, yeah. Well, and that's maybe why it's a my, lot of, and it's that's my cynicism. Of, yeah. I mean, that's why a lot of, you know, traditionally idealized heroes get torn down. Yeah. It's very depressing. Cause I'm like, if we have nothing to strive for, what's the point? Just staying where you are stagnating. No, but like I said, it can be an undoing as well. You know, but the, the 10 terrors strict adherence to rules. That's their hubris. I think you can be so I think when you get to that point though, when you, you, you become so rigid, you miss the point. Yeah. So that's certainly possible, but that's why you want to, you want to make sure you temper it a little bit, I would say, or that you're, you have the correct ideals. This is possible. You could be misguided. Is there, is there a way though? Is there a way though to have, um, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Is there is there a way though that um, you can be unhealthy with this with with a code of with by having a code of honor? Is there a, is there an is if there an unhealthy if your code of honor is requires you to do things that could be damaging? I was talking with a friend just last night. We were talking about the Spartans. And the Spartans had a very weird sort of code that they, you know, a warrior ethos that they adhered to. You know, just to give you a quick example, they, when young men were taken into military training, even though they would get married off before that happened, they were not allowed to go back to their wives to see them. They had to stay in the barracks and train. But they also were expecting the young men to have children, even though they couldn't go and see their wives all the time. Well, you can't have children unless you have. Well, here's what was expected. You were expected to sneak out, go home, make the children, we'll say, and then come back and not get caught. Because if you got caught, they'd kill you. So the fact that they had these two very contradictory expectations was meant to teach them cleverness and stealth. It was part of the training. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Spartan culture is nuts. <laughs> I did not know. I did not know that that was part of like, I did not know that that was part of the culture where uh, that was part of the training rather. Yeah. Like I said, Spartan culture is insane. The fact that, Sparta lasted for as long as it did is astonishing, but their 
that that and the many other aspects of their culture, their warrior ethos, eventually is why Sparta fell because their population started dwindling for because of that and some other factors, mostly yeah. having to do with the fact that they didn't like having daughters. So there were ended up being way more men <laughs> than women, <laughs> which have made propagation a little difficult. So you can be undone just by a, it. Just a touch. Yeah. So you can be undone by it. it may just it may take time, but it's possible. But that's why that's why your code of honor has to be based on the right things. You can be honorable and not be wishy washy. You can. I think you can. I think you can. Because I, I think you and I both, uh, without going into detail, you and I both have our convictions, mm-hmm. but we're not, and we're not wishy-washy on our convictions. Yeah. But we're, but we're also not so rigid on our convictions that we're going to allow it to cloud our, cloud our judgment, uh, you know, allow ourselves to, to allow ourselves to be shut off from convert, you know, conversations and and people and, and things that, you know, would challenge us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's possible to become legalistic. It is when it comes to that. And that's what you want to avoid. That's why I said it has to be based on the right things. Uh, since this season is so dogmatically focused on Nick, the red Ranger, do you think do you think the way that he was written is the is the best way to is the is the best way to to illustrate this concept of honor? Not entirely. I think the show thinks he is. I think Korag slash Liambo does a better job of it. But I am also not going to sit here and say that Nick doesn't develop at all. No, he does. He does. It's just. He's I think just it's really abrasive for a while. Well, I I think it's just the fact that there's such a focus on Nick that it gets exhausting. Mm-hmm. And you and for me personally, I think I feel I think you and I agree that the longer uh, the longer we watched Mystic Force, although it was an incredibly short season, the more exhausting it got because you weren't allowing you weren't allowing the other characters to exude that concept of honor. Not as much as they should have, as even though as they, they did. Have. They did. Yeah. He keeps wanting to run away from things too. So it's hard. It, Nick very early on is, which is, which is a nice little book into how his character is introduced. He is introduced by coming to this town that he, he doesn't know anybody. He's the outsider but he's leaving with his parents, with his newly found parents, which is, it's a nice visual. It's a nice idea. I don't know. It's just, yeah, I, I don't think Nick is the best example of it, even though no. he's in a, he isn't quite who he was at the beginning. He does. I develop, just, but I personally don't think that Nick is even the best example of what it means to be a red Ranger, to be quite no, honest with well, you. I, would I think, agree with you there. I think there Jack, are, we've seen better red Rangers. I think Jack is. A I mean, better... you want to see somebody who I think really embodies, you know, the level of honor that you need to have to be a Red Ranger. It's Carter. Good oh, grief, yeah. Carter! Carter, <laughs> Lightspeed <Yeah>. Rescue. <laughs> I mean, even Jack from SPD. Not trying not to to compare apples and oranges because it really is apples and oranges with SPD and Mystic Force. 
even Jack, it, it, comparatively so, m- makes use of the the concept of honor than even the, the than even Nick. And I've often been I've often been curious it, when we talk about these seasons, we st- seasons, and we talk about these themes. I'm often curious about what the writers maybe thought the theme was of their particular, of the particular season that they were writing for. I'm wondering if they're, I'm, I've always wondered if they're, if they're, um, if they're, if the concept they have in their head aligns with what we're picking up on, or if mm-hmm. we're just reading tea leaves. Maybe, but hey, Jackie Marchand, I know you're listening. Come <laughs> on the show and tell us. Yeah. I'd tell us to. we're right. And especially tell us if we're wrong. I would love to talk to Jackie Warchand. I have so many questions. So Me many too. questions. Me too. Anyway, but, we've gone yeah. on very long and we're still striving to not hit the four hour mark. So right now it's possible not to hit the four hour mark. If yeah. We so can. let's keep it that way. Even though I know we would love to keep <sighs> chatting about this, but that's what the article series in Kaiju ramen is for. Yes. Yes, quite. Anyway, so now it's time for the awards. These are fun little awards that we are giving out to different aspects, some fun aspects of each season of Power Rangers that we cover. So our first award is called the Power Range of Motion Award, and we give this to the best stunt or fight scene. I'm going to go ahead and start us off and say mine is coming from episode 11, Bullet Time with Rangers versus Necroli. And, and I'm going to say this, there was a lot of, there was a lot of footage of Necroli that I could have given an award to because the way her being a vampire and her being able to fly and things did create some very unique fight circumstances when within mystic force and uh episode 11 is one of the first instances of where it takes place and i just thought it was a really interesting it was just really interestingly shot and we've talked about before i think you gave the award to i think you gave the bullet time award to uh, a fight scene in time force if i'm not yes, mistaken the their first zord fight the first against- zord fight so because you know, I was like, thank you, Time Force, for reminding me the Matrix just came out. Right. So I'm gonna get I'm gonna go ahead and give this to I'm gonna go ahead and give this to this because of the fact that just the fact that just the uh, just the just Necroli versus any of the Rangers creates a creates really interesting visuals and really interesting scenarios to mm-hmm. kind of break the mold as far as like what hand to hand combat looks like in Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. And did we mention the voice actress for Necroli? We've talked about her so much. I feel like we need to. We said, um, excuse me. We said, um, that I think you mentioned that her voice actress was really good. You didn't, I, we didn't go. Yeah, into much I, I really feel I, I, I want to give more credit to the performers in these shows. So the voice actress was Dono Rees. That's an interesting name. And her human form was <laughs> the hot mom. Uh, it was Bridget Berger. Oh, so it's okay. not the same person. I thought it was the same person. Interesting. Well, that's probably that's probably why you did when she got transformed into the hot mom, she didn't speak. No, she did, but did it she? looked 80 yard. <laughs> oh. 
Did she? I, okay. Whatever. Oh, and apparently her real, uh, when, uh, her human form name is Nikki. So for our next award, uh, no, I got to give mine. Oh, oh, oh! I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off. Never mind. Uh, that ahead. was that was not very honorable. That was me. not very. Yeah, that was not very honorable of me, Marchand, to cut yeah. you off like that. Uh, no, how dare you! But considering, but considering how many times you've cut me off in the course of this podcast, I think we can, I think you'll live. <laughs> so mine actually goes to a fight from dark wish part two. It okay. is when the Rangers are on their little quest to go meet the tribunal of magic, which we'll talk about a little bit more in the next award. And in order to get there without their powers, I might add, they have to fight all of the fallen warriors who have tried to find the tribunal before. So these kind of pseudo zombie characters just, uh, just swarm them. And oh my gosh, the slow-mo and the choreography. This is, I'm giving it to this because one, it's a bit of a unique fight because these, we don't see these villains again. These, you know, these, uh, you know, enemies that they are fighting. There's some narrative significance to it. And it's, also, one of those times where we actually get to see the American filmmakers do something that is on par with Sentai, yes. doing their own footage because th- it they were the Power Rangers as it's uh, as a franchise has already gotten to this point. They've been here for a while, but I do see if you look at how the American footage when they do their own fight scenes has progressed since Mighty Morphin season one, it has really caught up to with what Sentai was doing. It mm-hmm. took them a little while, but they caught up. Right. And that all needs to go to Koichi Sakamoto, who did uh, he was one of the American producers who worked on both Super Sentai and Power Rangers. So I think that's part of why you started to see more verisimilitude between the two franchises, especially when they're blending footage. Yeah. So that is mine because that was just dang fun to watch. And speaking of unique visuals, we have our next award, which is the Ultra SFX Zord Award, which we he got give it right. To, thank you. Tries, but he got it right. Which is the be- which is the award we give to the best special effect. Not always a Zord, but this time it is. And for me, I actually have a winner and a runner-up. Oh, okay. So my so my winner goes to the Mystic Phoenix riding atop the mystic dragon in it's like it's like episode two it's like episode two or three when they're doing that i think it's three yeah it's like episode three when they're riding on top of the dragon and it's such a unique visual like you don't see that in power rangers and like i said i i don't know how else to describe mystic force except for just being chock full of unique visuals and speaking of unique visuals this award is just for my good friend jr villers and the runner-up is gonna go to (laughs) the centaur megazord uh especially the part where uh korag is joined with katastros to form the centaur and it's such an interesting visual i liked it I, it really just kind of it really just it just really took me back about how how interesting that visual was and so that's why my uh runner up is that is the centaurus wolf megazord or the centaur megazord whatever you want to call it and that award that runner up award is is specifically dedicated to our friend jr villers of the drift space just to 
Troblin him? <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Yeah, you deserve that. I regret nothing. Mine, actually, this, this one's a little bit different. A lot of times I've noticed that we give these to, especially in the our, uh, in our recent episodes, we tend to give these to the optical or the visual effects. I want to give this one to how several characters are realized with practical effects. Specific, and that goes to, again, goes back to Darkwish, uh, in this case, part two and three, the Tribunal of Magic. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, well, you and I talked about this. Yeah, the, the Tribunal of Magic is so... That is, for me, that was the most visually interesting thing I saw in the entire show, and it was American footage, mm-hmm. as far as I know. So the Tribunal of Magic, on one hand, seems weirdly kind of minimalist in a way, but the fact that it has this kind well, of it's weird minimalist, minim- but effective. Yeah, but the fact that it has this kind of weird minimalism to it, I felt like contributed to how ethereal it's supposed to feel. So, when the dark wish happens, they are told you can go to the tribunal of magic and you can talk to them about undoing the wish. So they go on this little quest to find them. They meet the tribunal, and the tribunal is it's three people, you know, tribunal, and. They basically look like actors in morph suits with some accessories put on them to create a silhouette that looks like an Asian mage. Again, probably Mm -hmm. a little bit of a throwback to the Super Sentai roots. They have very ethereal voices. The voice acting is great. uh, What? The voice acting is great. It is. And they have uh, they have really billowy sleeves, and what makes it work is the ver- is the vi- visual verisimilitude that they have. I think the, they the filmed- visual what a huh? visual verisimilitude. Big words, I know. Anyway, so whoa, 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 whoa! You're not, you're just gonna throw out a word like that and not explain what it means? <laughs> verisimilitude is to maintain a consistency. Thank you. That's what I was at. That's what I was hinting at, but you didn't take uh, the bait. Yes. And the reason I say that is because the, all of the visuals for the tribunal is very consistent. Now you can tell they filmed this on location. This is in New Zealand, which feels very appropriate with all the fantasy movies that get filmed there now because Lord of the Rings. And so this is filmed on location. It's a gorgeous location. Yeah, absolutely. Gorgeous location. It's on the coast and it's a little bit hilly. And they, there are all these pavilions, and the pavilions have these. I don't know exactly. They're not tattered, but it's like they're they're like flags, but not flags in how we under, usually understand flags. But they're all flapping in the wind. They look like long. They're long and skinny, and they're just flapping in the wind constantly. And there's things on the pavilions look a bit like curtains, and they're and they're again they're billowing in the wind. And then when we see the tribunal, their big billowy sleeves and everything, they're, you know, flapping and, and billowing in the wind. And everything feels very of a piece. It feels very consistent. And it creates this very ethereal atmosphere. And again, it's weirdly minimalist. This is all done in the camera. There's right. no optical effects or CGI or anything like they do with the Zords and all of that. It's all done in camera. And it's gorgeous to look at. So the fact that you know, there's it's just three actors in morph suits 
I'm like, you know what? It matches because it's supposed to look ethereal like that. If this was animated, I would not be surprised if they just realized these characters as being like beings of energy, you know, with, you know, some accoutrement around them, like a helmet or a hat or something, just to kind of create a little bit of a silhouette. Honestly, I thought that they use the same technique as they do with some, a lot of Godzilla films where they film it, but they slow down the footage. To it make wouldn't surprise me. They slow down the footage to just make it feel weightier and more ethereal than yeah, it. Yeah, but, but the whole execution of that with the voice acting, everything just comes together and makes it work. And the tribunal is fascinating because, and it, this is, feels like a very, it's not really a Western thing. And Western myths and fairy tales and all that there's usually a very clear-cut kind of understanding of good and evil where here it feels like it's a little bit more of an asian attitude because they say we're all our only concern is making sure there's magic in the world whether it's good or evil not a big deal to us yeah i'm like well that is weirdly deep and and nuanced that's really interesting it is really interesting. And I wish the tribunal had shown up a little bit more. And you and I were talking about this. We feel like they they were, even though these characters were mentioned before this, we both kind of felt like they were forerunners to the Morphin Masters who show up in the Boom Studios comics and eventually in Dino Fury. Yeah. So it was really cool. My headcanon is that the Morphin Master, uh, excuse me, is that the Tribunal of Magic are Morphin Masters. So the next award goes to our more phenomenal Mad Libs, which we give to the best line that we found during our watch through. And typically you and I are, are somewhat on the same page when we like to give it to either just badass, uh, meaningful lines that play into the thematics or just something very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I are going to share the same award where we're going to, and I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you go through it where mm-hmm. it's the conversation between Nick and Coreg. And I think Again, we've, already, we've, already talked about it. we've talked about it already. I just realized almost all of my awards went to dark wish. <laughs> well, for good reason that dark, dark wish, dark wish was, was an incredibly good three-parter, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So Korag meets up with the Rangers and he says, Hey, I need your help and I can help you out. And they're like, we don't trust you because you're one of the bad guys. And he starts going on about honor and things like that. And Nick makes a very, as much as we rag on Nick, he makes a very astute observation that the way he phrased it, I'm like, you know what? That actually makes sense. And it's a little bit self-aware. I feel like when it comes to things like superhero tropes and all of that, yeah. And he says, so you want darkness to rule the world, but only if they do it nicely. <laughs> Cause he's like, I want to stop the bad guys, but I do, but I too want to take over the world. Of course, which that, oh, that I'm like, Oh, I jotted that one down. Cause like, that was a good one, Nick. But then the follow up was even better. Like, Oh, and then that was when I had my Eureka moment. Cause then Korag gets right up in Nick's face and says, without honor, victory is meaningless. It is the one thing in this world no one can take from you. I'm like, oh. Oh, yeah. I like that. Oh, thank you, Korag. Oh, you're giving me goosebumps thinking about that. Oh. Ooh, yes, quite. (laughs) Yes, quite. Uh, Now I want to know who wrote that episode. (laughs) 
I think there was another Jackie Marchand. If it's Jackie Marchand, I, I I want her on the show even more now. I was I was thinking I think that's because a lot of the um, the majority of these episodes were written by Jackie Marchand, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, this one has three writers. Oh, one of whom was Jackie Marchand, but it was of also. Course. John Telligen and Bruce Kalish. So basically everybody worked on this. Well, yeah. no, no, that's actually just listing the, the entire three-parter. I'm guessing if I'm guessing it's probably in order. So this one was written by Kalish probably and Jack and Jackie Marchand wrote part three. I mean, we've already, I think we, we hinted at this early on in the episode. It's an incredibly impactful line and it goes into thematics yeah. And yeah, well, what really gets me is not the whole without honor, victory is meaningless. I'm like, okay, fine. I can go with that. It's the fact that he goes so far as to say it's the one thing no one can take from you. Yeah. And that's an aspect that we didn't get into this when we did the thematic discussion. That is an aspect of it is because I think where a lot of people struggle with being honorable is that they don't realize that it's always going to make people like you. It's not always going to make you popular. Mm-hmm. But you will always know because that's the thing that, you know, there's some uh, cultures that, you know, if they have a, a code of honor and everything, it tends to be very external. It's looking good to other people as opposed to having something internal. No one can take that from you. Such a good line. Such a good line. But 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 we have to move on. So our last award um is our I, I, I can't believe that happened, which we give to the craziest moment that we found uh, in the franchise. And mine is going to the fact that Rita Repulsa is now good. <laughs> She's now a good witch. But she was already good in, in, in Countdown. Yeah, but that's a, I feel like they retconned the hell out of this a little bit because that she was obviously changed into a human civilian. She lost her magic. Yeah, but it just, you're arguing from silence. There's nothing that indicates she lost her magic. I want to think that she lost her magic. Well, you can be wrong. I know I'm allowed to be wrong, Marchand. It just rarely happens. Oh, oh. I'm, ki- I'm kidding. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm I'm just saying it. It's I'm not, not being very the honorable. Pale. It is not beyond the pale, and it was done as a tribute. And okay. I I like the idea that Rita doesn't just become human, quote unquote human. She becomes a redeemed version of herself. She gets to be Glinda as opposed to Elphaba. I really love that idea. For me, it feels like a natural progression for her character. Sure. Sure. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just weird. It's just, it's just weird for me to see that. Uh, but that's not hating on the actress uh, because God rest her soul, because she passed away during production of, of Major Ranger. Yeah. Pancreatic um, cancer, I believe. Oh, that's tragic. Uh, I had some relatives pass away from pancreatic cancer. Um, I just wish they would have been able to bring, like, honestly, what would have sold it is just Barbara Goodson. Goodson. Yeah. Barbara Goodson. I just wish they would have been able, uh, they, they probably tried to reach out to Barbara. Maybe she just wasn't interested or was, she was busy something, but I just wish they would have been able to get Barbara Goodson to do the voice because God bless the actress that tries. She doesn't Susan quite, Brady. She doesn't quite get there. 
for me. But yeah, that was that was my I I I can't believe that happened moment. Uh, Rita Repulsa is is Glinda the Good Witch. Yeah. Well, funny thing. <laughs> my I I I can't believe that happened award also goes to the Mystic Mother. Of course it does. Not for not for the reasons that you have. Oh, okay. What is it? Mine goes to the fact that in the final episode, I have little to no doubt she breaks the fourth wall because when we're doing the ending montage for the denouement, when we're wrapping everything up, she looks right at the camera doing a little bit of a voiceover and says, we can keep evil from coming back so long as we use the magic in all of us. And she's looking right at the camera talking to the audience and saying you too have magic and I can help stop evil and I'm like I was not prepared for this <laughs> I feel like it's a very it's a very Disney thing to do it is but it's from the Sentai that never happened at all in Mystic Force and then suddenly Mystic Mother is talking to me and telling me to use my magic to stop evil I'm like what we do what <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> anyway that was our awards so now uh nathan do you know what time it is it's morphin time and this is the part of the show where we take 60 seconds and we talk about and we give our final thoughts on any on on the particular season that we are discussing so nathan let me get my stopwatch ready and go so power rangers mystic force uh i went into it like i said thinking that it was not going to be anything special i tried to have an open mind and i was pleasantly surprised uh the unique tokusatsu the interesting visuals uh really added to my enjoyment i just wish the dang show did not focus so much on nick the red ranger and let other characters have time to shine yeah, it was, I ended up liking it more than I was expecting. I wouldn't call it top tier Power Rangers because it's held back by, you know, a lot of things, the Nick thing, and there's some plot threads that don't get resolved and some things that get dropped and I wish they hadn't. But what keeps this pretty high on the list, higher than I would have expected, is the unique visuals and the unique theme and motif in terms of, you know, making this very fantasy and magic based. And the capes. Suck it. The capes. And time. Okay. <laughs> you came in under you came in under a couple of seconds. It just just you just had to say something about those damn capes and telling me to suck it. Okay. All right. I see how it is now. Um so so that was our morphin time, aka fanboy fifty that we totally didn't buy from. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that we totally didn't borrow from our friends at the drift space. Uh, love you, Jack. Love you, Jr. Love you, everyone at the drift space. Reb, Dave. Reb, Dave. Oh, I know Jack. I know at least Jack. We've already figured out which Power Ranger color all of you would be. Yep. So. Jack is Jack is totally pink. Um, <laughs> he's very pretty in pink. He's very pretty in pink. Yes. Yes. Quite. Um, <laughs> so, and I know Jack listens to the show. So does Jr. Obviously. Uh, so that closes the book of prophecy 
uh, or the book, book of, of plot the, convenience, the book of plot convenience on Power Rangers Mystic Force. Nathan, you want to tell the listeners with attitude what they can expect the next episode? I'm not looking forward to the next one. And if you dare try to save this one like you did, Turbo, we are going to have words. Admittedly, this show's reputation precedes it. I at least had some inkling. I, le- I had at least some experience with Turbo we before don't we talked about yet. it. We don't know that yet, Marchand. Neither one of us have seen Operation Overdrive yet. I am just preparing myself. We don't know that. It could it could surprise us. We have the advantage of this being the first time we watch it. My rant master button is still expecting to be pressed a lot. <laughs> God. I'm just saying. So, yes, next episode, we will be continuing our journey. With through the turbo of the Disney era. Potentially the turbo of the Disney era. Operation and there's Overdrive. no corsets to save it for you this time. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, we've heard very mixed opinions. Mixed? On- I don't oh. think mixed is that, that's we've wow. heard. We've heard <laughs> very um, eclectic opinions on Operation Overdrive uh, over the course Speaking of Speaking our- of uh, Rita and Mystic Mothers and turning good and d- d- the villain is Rita and Zed's son. And it makes I, no sense. You know, it is what it is, man. It is, it is what it is. Or we're going to, I think we're going to have a good, we're going to have a good time with Operation Overdrive. Um, And I cannot wait. I cannot wait until you text me and say, you know what? I enjoyed Operation Overdrive more than I expected. You and I are going to watch some of these episodes together. We're going to suffer together. We are going to suffer together, and then we're going to talk about them together on the next episode of The Power Trip for our listeners with attitude. See ya. And until next time, Michael and the listeners with attitude, may you unlock all of the spells in the Xenotome. And may you always believe in magic. And may the power protect you. Thank you for listening to The Power Trip, a podcast produced and hosted by Michael Hamilton and Nathan Marchant. If you'd like to send us feedback, email us at powertrippod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at The Power Trip Pod, and join our official Facebook group, Power Rangers Legacy. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other great podcasters. The podcast logo was designed by Rebecca Hudgens. Follow her on Instagram at super underscore R underscore illustrations. Our theme songs are from the album Power of the Grid by Neil Stenson. We also use Galaxy Quest Instrumental by Heaven Wraith from the OC Remix album Jet Force Gemini Mizar Attacks. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended or implied. The Power Trip has no association with Saban Entertainment or Hasbro. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. And until next time, see ya! This podcast is part of the Kaiju Ramen Podcasting Network and is copyright 2022 Kaiju Ramen Media, LLC.